Sí, sí. It's funny because his name is David S. Pumpkins. Ah. <laughs> What's the S for? Any questions? Yeah. <laughs> is it time to begin? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Welcome to BUDUQ. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's how they say it in nowhere. Nowhere, indeed. <laughs> episode 18, is this? Episode 18? Is this episode 18? 18? I, I, think, I think it's, it's episode 18. 18. Yeah, we're 18. If it's 18, that means we're technically um, R-rated or NC-17 applicable, which means we can swear. Titties! There it is. There we go. There we go. That's all you need, isn't it? That's all you need in life. Titties. Um, we need to start the show on a serious note, which we've already failed on. Yeah, quite, quite possibly. Um, it, it, so, over the weekend, uh, comics artist Steve Dillon passed away. Mm. And it was very sad, because yeah. Steve Dillon was a great artist. Mentally talented storyteller. He co-created Preacher, worked on all sorts of great stuff, like um, the Marvel Punisher. Lots of work with Garth Ennis on Punisher. Welcome back, Frank, um, quite welcome notably. Back, welcome back, Frank. The, the I, man drew Frank Castle punching a polar bear in the yeah, face. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, you know. That, that will always be the thing that comes to my mind when I think Steve Dillon's art, because I'm like... He got to draw that, and he managed to make a polar bear look confused. That is great. <laughs> and I, I wrote a little tribute on, on our Big Damn blog. Yeah, bigdamblog.tumblr.com. Um, just about his art and that. Because I've actually been exposed to Steve Dillon's art. Some of his, his art was some of the first comic stuff I was exposed to, which I didn't realise until later on, but because he was working on those early Doctor Who weeklies. Yes. As it was back then. Um because he's one of the artists who got to that. tackle characters like Absalom Dark. And he created Absalom like Dark. Well, there you go. He, so he, he created Absalom Dark. He had the throwbacks, all of us had man stuff, which, which stuck with me for a while and things like that. So, um, yeah, Steve Dillon, sad, sadly gone. Uh, yeah. But so certainly not done. forgotten. Like No, the... absolutely not. The man's got a hell of a legacy of work. Very premature, isn't it? Have they, have they said exactly what it was? He was 54. It was, it was um, complications... Arising from a ruptured appendix. Oh man! I believe he, he thought. I think he, so he some of that could sick. happen to anyone. He got, yeah, he got yeah. sick. He th- I think. He, I think the anecdote was that he thought he had food poisoning from come from someone who was with him in New York City at the time. Might have his brother actually. Yeah. Um, and oh, then his appendix had burst, and um, so that that can kill you. That it, if it your appendix bursts, it it can if it bursts it can kill you. If it bursts and um, ain't treated immediately. Anything can go anywhere. Yeah, and, so, oh man, that's a shame. We so lost you... a big talent to something. So for someone who's, who's provided so much joy to others, and someone who's like wo- woven tales of various times and fantasy, and, and by all and, accounts, and everything was a super nice dude, despite drawing some like hyper violent yeah. stuff. You know, like, like top end adult violent stuff, especially in things like Preacher and uh, mm. to a lesser extent things like Hellblazer. Um, it's, th- it's that poetic kind of end yeah. in a way that it's like for someone who has given us the mighty and the fantastical to sort of be taken up by something yeah. so simple and stupid. Yeah. So if you think if you think mm. you if you think you might have appendicitis, go and get it checked out. Yes, ASAP. For God's sake. And uh, so. while you're at it, go pick up a preacher trade or anything. Just anything along those lines. Give it a go. Some of the Wolverine yeah. Darken stuff from recent yeah, years. Yeah, he did some Wolverine stuff. Um, yeah. Grab a hold of it by Jingo. Yeah. Go. I, I would definitely recommend. Preacher and his Garth and his Punisher stuff. Uh, and basically anything to do with Garth. And him and Garth and his were, were very good collaborators. So. Mm. Uh, but yeah, go go read yourself some Steve Dillon. Remember the, remember the man and his work. Um, keeping on 
sort of the bleak trail. The but bleak trail, But in yeah. this case, fictional bleakness, so, you yeah, know. But what's a fictional bleakness? When fictional bleakness. Bleakness we choose. Yeah. Uh, we missed out on this last week. Oh, uh, yes. Again. Again. Something dropped just after we finished recording. Sod's Law, we'll, f- we'll finish recording this and they'll announce Half-Life 3. Yeah. <laughs> and that's our one Half-Life 3 joke. We've done it. We'll never make You're it never again. Never get another one. Um, Logan. The trailer for Logan is now out there in the world, and bloody hell, Fox are paying money because it's you in mean... front of 90% of YouTube videos now. Do you mean The Last of Us, the movie? <laughs> is God, that the... what you mean? The amount of people in the comments saying, wouldn't you Jackman make a great Joel? And it's like, you're saying that because he's got a beard and he yeah. stood next to a young girl. How about maybe not making those assumptions? Like, wouldn't Ryan Cranston make a great Lex Luthor? He's bald. Get out. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, yes, he would make he an excellent bald. Lex Luthor. Also, he's not bald. Oh, but, ra- but <laughs> he round, shaved his head. Round man still, and they kept going like he'd, he'd be a great Lex Luthor. It's like you're only saying that because he's bald. That's the only <laughs> reason you're saying that. Yes, Brian Cranston would make an excellent Lex Luthor, but not because he was bald. No, <laughs> god damn no, it. Not, that's not why. Oh, not why. blimey! But Logan, um, looking bleak as sin. It, I mean, it does. I joke, but it's it definitely does look old man like, Logan. It does look like The Last of Us. It does. It, it looks. It looks like it's that story. Here is this girl, she's special, keep her safe and probably get her somewhere safe. <laughs> I, I I imagine that's probably the plot. And by the way, awful things happen all the way through your journey. Yeah, I mean, this is the bit I'm intrigued about. It's very defi- It's definitely Old Man Logan, but it's Old Man Logan well, in the way that the Wolverine was the, like, um, Frank Miller kind of Wolverine stuff. It, in the, it's, it's not at all. Yeah, well, it's, it, it's in Old the, Man Logan in, the, in that Logan is an old man. It's got the setting. It's got some of the vibe. Well, like visually, it's, it's got a bit of Old Man Logan. I don't think it's even got the setting it. though, because it seems to be that it's not. It doesn't look seems post-apocalyptic. To be, it looks your life like, like an old man, Logan. It looks it. like it's probably a lot of it set in like a rundown old, like small town, but it doesn't look post-apocalyptic necessarily. But that's also the other big draw. Everyone's going Old Man Logan, Old Man Logan, and Hugh Jackman said it at San Diego Comic Con last year. Didn't he said, I've got three words for you, old man Logan. Old Mike man drop. Logan. And everyone went, woo! That's, and that's, only exactly about... how, that's exactly how he jacked the Loot crate, old man Logan. <laughs> old man Logan. <laughs> we guaranteed only about five people in that hall went, woo, wait a minute, hang on. Old man Logan heavily involves Hawkeye. Red the Skull. Hulk, the Red Hulk. Skull, Captain America. Like... Mysterio. Uh, yeah, oh God, Mysterio, of course. What was him? Um, kicks it all off. Um, so, yeah. It's like, it's not really Old Man Logan, is it? But it, it's the essence of it. We've got Patrick Stewart looking old as balls, and also proving that Xavier isn't bald. He's balding yeah. and shaves his head. Wait, wait. But he is bald. Are you saying that... you've seen he's bald. Are you saying that there are continuity conflicts with the other X-Men films? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. X-Men, in terms of the X-Men talent, people are like, where does this fit? Thanks to Days of Future Past, the only X-Men films that actually happened, that genuinely actually happened, are First Class. I wish that was the case. <laughs> no, no, but in terms of the timeline yeah, at but, least. But, but first, first Class, class Days of Future Past itself, and Apocalypse. They're the only ones that have happened. So Old Man Logan, Old Man Logan, Logan will also take place in that timeline. Yes. Um, yes. Which means it's set many years after the little epilogue. In, in Days of Future, Future Past. Now, this is a shame because First Class is a pretty great movie till you start thinking about it, but it's still a pretty enjoyable film. Days of Future Past is pretty sweet. Like, it's pretty cool, but it's mo- mostly cool because you get to combine two generations of X Men from the films you've watched. 
Apocalypse is dire as fuck. And just I've still dull. not seen Apocalypse. It's dull. It's really Me, bad. The person who got into superhero <laughs> comics through reading X Men has still not seen X Men Apocalypse. But X Men Apocalypse is canon. In X Men Apocalypse, I wish Charles I fire Charles's Apocalypse body out of a canon. Charles's body is briefly inhabited by um, Apocalypse and Sabiner, like he's trying to transfer into him. And during the transfer, like the the the, the fear and the the sort of terror of it all. Like, his hair falls out. That's exactly how hair works. That's exactly how hair works. It's, to be fair, it's also meant to look a bit like, <laughs> in the beginning, when you see the transfer of him from one body to another, at the beginning, Oscar Isaac's body in it is like the head's been shaved or whatever. So it's meant to sort of resemble that. But that's implying that Xavier's bald head is... It's bald. Like, his head is just bald. He is a bald man. Like he, he No hair will grow out of his hair head again. Never has this been such... An authentic depiction of follicle necrosis. In never, film. never has there been a tale of such woe than that of Charles and his bald chrome dome. <laughs> um, as I believe the great poet Dr. Seuss once wrote. I think we may be fi- fixating on the wrong details. Well, the that's the thing. Not, not entirely. Because Xavier's appearance suggests that either Pete, you know, um, freaking Earl Grey, hot is a lifesaver to the point where Xavier has lived long enough to stay alive whilst Wolverine, who ages ten times slower than humans, or, well, like, five times slower or whatever. Like, Xavier's still alive. Everyone else is dead, but Xavier is still alive. But I very don't think, frail. Yes, but alive. How? Xavier is in his 60s when Logan meets him. I think Xavier mm. is fictional. I think Charles is in Logan's of, head. Of Wolverine's imagination. Or Charles is living in Logan's head and his physical form as far as Logan can see is uh, a depiction of how much longer Charles has left like his consciousness is in Logan somehow what if it's similar to the X3 waking up in that child body like Moira thing what if it is not as far in the future as maybe it is it's like it's only a couple it's only like a few years after and Wolverine's just stopped moisturising and it it, well (laughs) If this, it, Stop it, using just for men. I think the measure is some kind of virus that's killed off mutants. So if it explain it, why Logan's powers are yes, yeah, is that, is that why it's short-circuiting? Because he protected uh, himself, but it's yeah. deteriorating it's, now. Because his healing factor is clearly not what it once was. Like the comic book Old Man Logan, where yeah. his scars don't heal anymore. Well, his scars remain. He does heal, but his body's taking a lot longer to. It's also because he's old as balls. Yeah, old balls, Logan. Old man balls. Old man balls, Logan. Marvel's all new, all different, old man balls. So much for smooth criminals. But I think Xavier's in his head. Uh, the only thing that negates that is there is one shot in the Red Band trailer of Xavier in the wheelchair facing like what looks like a window. It's all bright light. And there are two people behind two soldiers, Reavers probably pointing guns at his head. But in the Green Band trailer, they're not in it, just him. Hmm. Uh, which is weird because there are plenty of guns in the Green Band trailer. So taking that out doesn't really. Make I think much it's difference. the threat of it. Maybe. And also, but then but also, also it means yeah, you could but remove. Then... But it also means you could remove them from the frame, which means they were added in layers anyway for that scene. Which means Xavier might not actually be there. They may not be pointing the guns at his head. It may be just something Logan's seeing, a vision or something like that. Because that scene has been layered enough that you could remove those two. And there's the shot of Xavier without them in the shot. There's also that shot in the Red Band trailer of Wolverine stabbing a dude through the face. Which is from Old Man Logan, isn't it? Yeah. He, does, he stabs one of the Hulk uh, bastard children through the head. Yeah. And it's like, oh my god, that's pretty sweet. I do like that. And I think Darker might be in it. 
Yeah, because you were thinking there's a, there's a scene in the, in the trailer where he's like stopping two claws, claws bearing claws. down from him. Yeah, um, so that might be that might be and, and they they don't appear to be two because obviously people are like well that's X twenty three. I think it's confirmed that now that she's X twenty three. Yeah, here it is. It's the screen grab. So here it is. Let's have a look at it. This is the image. It's two, two, and then a third one. I think there's a third one uh, there, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Which, in the pattern of Darken's claws, because Darken has two on top. Yeah, has two on top and one, one from his wrist. Yeah. Um, that, or X-23, is bouncing on her hands and her feet and her toe claws poking through. I've never liked the toe claw. The toe claw always looks visually really weird. It is a bit strange. And we also don't know if it is X-23. They've not confirmed, No, I they? think it's been confirmed now it's X-23. It's pretty. It's got to be, because yeah. it's, she's like you. I'm not like you. I'm not like you. Oh, Logan. Um, I will say this, though. I wouldn't be surprised if the sales of Johnny Cash's cover of that song go through the roof on iTunes. This oh, week. that's always a high seller on iTunes because it's great. Yeah, it's pretty great. And it's also really depressing. The video for that is so sad. It is, it's, the video oh, for that man. is an incredible movie in its own right. It's, it just makes you crumble. It makes you crumble. Uh, but yeah, that's our talk about Logan. Uh, bye, everyone. Listen, Chris. Listen. We've got some differences. Oh. Creatively. And, you um, might say. What? See, what I want is I want this podcast to be full of big action and imaginative sequences and I want everything to take place on a bridge. Yeah, well, the problem I have with that, I'm afraid, is that I want this podcast to be full of lewd, smutty jokes and pop culture references and incessant uh, referral to fried Mexican foodstuffs. Now, there's two ways we can solve this problem. Aye. We can either amicably agree to go our separate ways and I'll leave um, you know, one of us will leave the project. Or we can we can shout about it and have a big falling out and then pretend that we're amicable about it. Well as long as I get more creative control, I'm fine with either option. God damn it, I can't take it anymore, I'm walking off the project. That's not that's not what Tim Miller sounds like. We've lost Tim Miller from Deadpool 2! The director, one quarter yeah. of the four gentlemen who made that movie not only survive through the wilderness, but then actually become a thing, is gone from the project. Yeah. Tim Miller has left Deadpool 2, apparently due to creative differences with Ryan Reynolds. Which makes me embrace the my worries that I originally had about mm. Deadpool being too... Deadpool being too funny, that sounds like a we, bad complaint, doesn't we, it? We do like the Deadpool character. I, I think I like him more than you do. Yes, but you do. We, we do like the Deadpool character, but what I think we both can agree on, we like the Deadpool character when the storylines work, when it's creatively told, when he is compelling and not obnoxious to the reader. Like, he can be obnoxious to the people he's fighting, but as long as he's not obnoxious to the reader, fair enough. We don't like the Deadpool that the convention goes seem to like, where they cosplay as him and ask for free hugs and troll people's photos. It's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, to them, Deadpool is just sort of like a troll mask. He's zany. Yeah. I hate that word, zany. That's the Deadpool we don't like. That's why Deadpool, the movie, works quite well, because he is... I'm not a big fan of zaniness. He is zany, but they also tone it back when they know it's not necessary. Like, the entire flashback sequence to, like, him going through the procedure, they don't fill it with big yucks. There's also that, there's also that, that scene that was cut from the movie where he he goes to the the, uh, the cancer doctor in Mexico. It turns out to be a fraud. I've not seen that one. Oh yeah, that oh that 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 throws dark. Okay, throws very dark that scene. 
Oh God! Basically, he goes, he goes oh. to, he, he goes to this cancer doctor in Mexico, who's been touting a miracle cure, and he finds out that the guy's a fraud because he sees him performing performing a, in scare quotes, procedure on someone, which is actually a whole, it's actually something pulling the wool over someone's eyes, but he's charging him, God knows how much for it. Yeah. And then he loses his shit and fucking murders the doctor. Really? Yeah. It, oh it, God! Kind of in front of everyone, and then he's like, just. Runs away. I need to see this. Yeah, well, it's, on, it's on the it's on the it's on the DVD. It's well, that's what's nice about it because you're introduced to it and you're having laughs and yucks, and then his backstory's told, and you yeah. suddenly go, "This guy's really, really tragic." Mm. Deadpool's a really sort of horrifically thingy, you know, tragic guy. And the problem is, at the back of it, once he gets out and starts looking for Vanessa again, his story could turn around and be positive and wonderful if he'd only get over his own personal fear that she's not going to like the way he looks. Now that he's over that, I imagine he would be a bit more freed up. But the second one should still have kind of that weight of some of the stuff with, you know, the, the procedures and, and Ajax and all that that the first one had. I think he should also, but I think it's also a case of, like, him... Mm, they've kind of... Deadpool's kind of got more of a conscience now. Mm. And, a, and, a, and a, I think his time on Uncanny X-Force was kind of instrumental in that, um, in the comics. Um well, yeah, well, him. even toward the end of that, um, God, who was it? Joe Kelly run and all that. Yeah. He sort of is like, I don't want to be a mercenary anymore. Mm. I don't want to do this. And at that point, he's suicidal. He's like, I want to end my life. And he can't do it. And one of the few things keeping him around is that he, he hasn't... On again, off again is the wrong description, because I don't think she's really into it, but sort of a relationship with Ban... Um, not Banshee. Siren. Siren yeah. From the X-Men. Siren, Banshee's daughter. And that kind of turns him yeah. a bit in the sense it's like, no, like killing myself isn't the answer. I need to be a good person. Which then is followed on in the, um, oh God, what's the run that I quite like from the 2000s? Daniel Way. Daniel Way's run. It's yeah. followed on in the Daniel Way run because he tries to, like volume two of like, the, the first, second story arc, he tries to join the X-Men. He sort of forces himself on them and he's yeah. like, I'm a member of the team! And they're like, no, you're not. You're a murderer. He, does, he does later become a member of Uncanny, of the, of Uncanny X-Force. Yeah. And has a lot of development. I think... That's the route that's, that they should go for that, the second. That's my favourite um, Deadpool, Deadpool book. Hanging out with Wolverine and Dr. Nemesis. And... Right. Oh, no, that's before Dr. Nemesis is on. Ah. It's, um, it's Wolverine... Electra? Wolverine, Archangel... Um, no, because all X-Men characters. Ah. It's Wolverine, ah, She joins Archangel. X-Force at one point, though, doesn't she? Electra? Yeah, I'm sure she's no, in like, she's a grey outfit. And she's, I know, but I'm sure she's like... Psylocke. Or oh, is that the upcoming Psylocke. stuff? No, Psylocke. I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of a different, um, mildly sometimes Greek based on the artist character yeah. in, a, in a onesie, Psylocke. in a unitard. <laughs> you know, the the British woman in, a, in an Asian woman's body, because um, comics. It's what it, <laughs> comics it's are weird. So, Archangel Wolverine, Psylocke, Deadpool, Phantom X. Uh, I think that's it. Brand X. Uh, <laughs> Triple X. Using Brand X. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Uh, so yeah, Timur's gone from the project, and we don't know what effect that's going to have yet. We it don't know who's going to be who's going to be directing. Yeah, that's is the thing. Ryan Reynolds going to step up and be like, "I want more creative control. How about all the creative control? Uh, make me to the director." Here you go, Mister Reynolds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, like, who are they going to hire? Are they going to f- hire someone to slide into that role and be, be have less? Uh, import. Uh, I think as long as the script doesn't change too much from from the sort of vision of the writers, because that was the thing that 
which proved that Reynolds was a good guy in the first movie was that the the studio wouldn't give the budget for the writers to be on set mm. and Tim and, and Ryan wanted them on set because they wanted their input like if they were going to change something on the fly they wanted them to be able to help out um, which is kind of brilliant that's not that's not very oft heard of in Hollywood no, no the writers usually the writers are just hands degree. off once it starts filming yeah. like it's out of their hands yeah. um, but Ryan like Fox wouldn't bring up the budget for it so Ryan paid with his own money to get get them like to have them be somewhere like he paid for like a penthouse suite and a hotel for them to stay in and like paid for their travel and all that so that they could be there when they needed yeah which is really cool of him so the whole fact that he's taken creative more creative control and has essentially this is just a phrasing this isn't what happened don't say was kicked Tim Miller off the project mm. is worrying. Yeah, we don't know enough officially about whether yeah. to say whether that's happened or not. And when we do know more, we will get right into it. When we do know more, we'll we'll probably won't say anything. Yeah, we'll, we'll move on to other things by then. Yarb, yarb. Until indeed. we start seeing bits coming out of that movie. Hmm. But uh, let's switch it over. Ha! To uh, to that was smooth. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. To video game news. Yeah. Um. So. The Wii U's a thing. No, I'm kidding. Everyone's a no. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. I have one, and I love it, and it's not. Um, <laughs> but let's... <laughs> it's like the season box set of your favourite show, yeah. but it's the season where you're like, yeah, I don't, even I don't really love this season. Oh, I, no, I do love the Wii U. I do love it, but it's pants. And Nintendo um, hopefully have learned from well, the past. Everyone, like, it's been an open secret. Like, Nintendo announced last, I think last year, yeah. that they're working on a new console, but everyone kind of knew they were before that anyway. What, was, what was the working title? The Nintendo NX. NX. And it's That's been it's it. been pretty much a, um, basically everyone, it's, one, it's an open secret, basically, mm. that Nintendo have been working on a console which is a hybrid of a portable and a, and a, and a home console. Yes. Um, where it's like a, a, a tablet-like device with a controller where the controllers detach and then the, the main portion of it plugs into the TV mm. and you play it on the TV. There, so the trailer finally came out for the Nintendo Switch. All we've seen is a three-minute trailer and a couple of project and a couple of renders of the product. And it is as confirmed, well, as all but confirmed by a, Euro, by a Eurogamer article that, that collated several sources that we had a couple months back, it is exactly that. It is a tablet with controller portions that slide off, so you can plug the tablet into the, into a dock and let you play it on the TV, or you can put your controllers back on the side of the tablet and you can take it with you, and it's portable. Or as this as this advert also shows, you can put you. It's got a kickstand in it, so you can put it on your plane tray and play with the two controllers as separate halves. Mm-hmm. Like you can play Skyrim on the plane, and or you can. You can you can take both the controllers off and give one half to someone else, and you can play Mario Kart with your friend in the back of a car for some reason. If you want to do that, if you want to two-player um, games locally within a home environment, there's a second controller there's a pro that controller. will come with yeah. it. So um, you, you you can you know you don't have to buy a bunch of extra controllers, just the one. Or you've got a Joy-Con grip because the the bits that slide off the. Uh, the, the the Nintendo Switch, as it's now called, officially. Um, not the Nintendo NX. I think NX is a cool name, but the Nintendo Switch gives you a real good idea of what, what it, it does and what it is. Uh, the controllers that slide off it are called the Joy-Con. And then they have a Joy-Con grip, which is you slide into it and it becomes a home controller when you've got it docked. Put into the dock. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a console 
Look, right, I think the best way to describe it, like, if you've not seen it, if you haven't, do give it a watch, the trailer and everything, but, like, it's it's a handheld console in the vein of, it sort of looks like a PS Vita or it something like, like that. It looks like a sleeker version of the tablet controller for the Wii U. Yeah. So it's, it's that. Yeah. But then, you want to play it at home, you plug Put it, it into dock. a dock, you take the controller sides off, click them into their own little dock, and you can play it at home. There are also games which involve you taking both sides of the controller and using them like sort of the Wii style nunchuck in that you can just hold them in separate hands. Well, that, I think that's an option is that you don't have to plug them into the Joy-Con grip. You can just use them as like yeah. little... Which I, th- I, think, I think Jim Sterling described as like, like the idea of you just being able to just like slump back in a chair. Yeah, like I played a little bit of the Wii, of the original Wii the other night mm. on my Wii. Because the good, the cool thing you can do with the Wii, because the Wii is backwards compatible, which this won't be. Yeah. Because it's not got a disk drive. Yeah. Uh... Game, unless there's a disk drive in the dock. <clears throat> yeah. Which I doubt. The Wii U is backwards compatible, right? The Wii U, that's what I was about to say. Yeah. So, the, so what I did the other day was the Wii U, you can play Wii games on the tablet. Mm-hmm. The tablet's got a sensor bar built in. Yes. So you can just use the tablet as a screen and play Wii games on that while someone else is watching the TV. Yeah. So I did a bit of that the other night and like I played a bit of Super Mario Galaxy with the with the Wii remote and nunchuck. It was super comfortable. Um, Like having that sort of split just being like, you know, to just fucking chill out with it and just hang out. Um, so far, it doesn't look like, based on some images I'm looking at, promo images, it doesn't look like the dock has a disk drive. No, I wouldn't have thought it did. Um, you can they you can get you can get original Wii games as digital mm. downloads for the Wii U, right? And you can also get Wii U games digitally. So you could do digital backwards compatibility, but. It has been, th- <laughs> although it, ha- it has been theorised by um, there's a game journalist called Laura Kate Dale who's got some good, seems to have some good sources on this. Yeah. And she's been saying that the right Joy-Con has an IR, has IR pon- pointer functionality similar to the original Wii Remote. Yeah. So there might be pointer functions in there. Okay. Um, but we don't know if it's a touchscreen or not yet. Right. If it's not a touchscreen, if that tablet, if that tablet for the Nintendo Switch isn't a touchscreen, yeah. then you're losing Wii U backwards compatibility and you're losing 3DS backwards compatibility. Now, I cannot see any way that this thing comes out and does not replace both the Wii... It was definitely replacing the Wii U, but also the 3DS. Mm. Like, the Nintendo were not going to make another dedicated handheld after this comes out. Why the hell would they? Yeah. Oh my god, is this the end of Nintendo's, like, direct handheld consoles? How could it not be? That's a, wow! See, now I'm sad. How could it not be? Now I'm sad because why? Even though I don't own a 3DS, yeah, but now I you like don't the have... fact that Nintendo. No, I know, I know. I know if you but... want to play good Nintendo games, now you only have to buy one platform. But ah, well, this is my biggest concern with this because I'm interested. I'm not a Nintendo um, aficionado. I do like Nintendo, but the only ones I've ever owned is Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, uh, a, a DS, and a Wii. Uh, I've recently got my hands. See, their handhelds are way more popular than their home consoles, or have been since the SNES, anyway. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, that's exactly that's, that proves it. Like, I've not followed their consoles as the years have gone by, but I have picked up like at least one version of a handheld. Pretty much every other every other generation, I've picked up a handheld yeah. one. Um, but the biggest concern for me from this is battery life, and this is information they've not given out yet in terms of like how long it lasts. If it's equivalent to the 3DS, yeah, it'll be between three to six, three to five hours. That's not too bad. It's not great. It's, it was not too bad if it's like short commutes. Like if you were playing it on yeah. your way to and from work, for example. But hey, why would you play it on your way to and from work? If that's someone's playtime, gonna definitely nick that off you. If that's playtime, that also depends on what the standby time is. Yes. Because 
Yeah. Like, you look at the 3DS, the PlayStation Vita, I have both. They have a roughly equivalent battery life for playtime, mm-hmm. but the standby life on the Vita is far superior to the 3DS standby time. Like, I can leave my Vita on standby for, like, three days. Yeah. And then still get two hours either side of that. It's not that actual playtime. Whereas with the, P- the 3DS, I can get a couple of hours out of it playing it and then leave it on standby for a day and then I have to charge it. But next time I open it up, it's like, fucking charge me! Charge me, Matthew! Plug me into the mains! So I have to get a fucking battery case for my 3DS. So Twitch a lot. I'm trying to sleep. Yes, yeah, so charge me, Matthew. Now, if it's not, so if it's not got that, that... oh god, if it's, I love that's that's the voice. Of charge him. me. That's the voice of it. If it's not got that good standby time that the beat has got, then it's, yeah. then the back, then yeah, that's not. It's its portability is limited. Yeah. Which would be a shame. So, but hey, at least you could play it in a giant arena, apparently, maybe, kind of. Yeah, you could play you and your esports team. Also, it's so good that you can stop playing basketball, stop playing real basketball and play some video game basketball with your basketball team. That's pretty dumb. However, like, obviously, the trailer dropped some known games and some unknown games as well. well like, for yeah. example, we knew Skyrim, Skyrim thing was announced, wasn't it? No. No, so that was an unknown one. This is the first Nintendo console to have a Bethesda game on it. Which is incredible, because this means they're open to third-party content, which is why I'm intrigued, because well, oh, I'm like, oh, no, okay. Nintendo have always been open to third-party content. It's just the third parties are like... People dropped the yeah. Wii after like a couple of years of doing minigame collections, were like, we can't actually use this thing anymore, yeah. because it's underpowered. And then the Wii U was underpowered compared to the Xbox One and PS4, so that got dropped. Like, EA <laughs> sent their Wii U development kits back... Yeah. Before the Wii U shipped. Yeah. You can't, you can't, I don't think, I don't so, think so it's, not open, even, it's not open to third party development, it's just the console is easier to adapt. I'm pretty sure that these developers. FIFA games don't even come out on the Wii U. No, they don't. They don't. But they, they still came out on the Wii until mm. fairly recently. Yeah. So, and they still come out on the 3DS, so, you know, but so, the problem has not been that Nintendo is not open to third party support. It's just that they make their consoles weird and third parties go, yeah, we can't do what we want to do with this. And then yeah. just drop the fucking thing. Yeah. Um, For ages, there was that whole thing that the web studios would have sort of like a smaller adapted version of a game, like yeah. usually in a cartoony graphic well, style. Like, yeah, if the, it was like a franchise the, one, for example. The Wii, Wii versions of that would, that would also titles. go out on... But that was when the PS2 was still occasionally manufactured. Yeah, they stuff. tended to be the PS2 versions yeah. with slightly touched up and with touch and with motion controls. Yeah. Um so I'm thinking things like um, Spider Man Friend or Foe and yeah. Ghostbusters, yeah. the video game, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Where where the Wii got a version of it that was the I same think... as the PS two, but then obviously the developers didn't need to sell in it. I just there's more there's more of a drive there for the developers to do that or to hand it out to another, you know, like software developer and stuff to, to make the second version. Yeah. Because they're selling it on two consoles which families will still be buying games for, but when it was just the Wii, not much point. And when the Wii U is now its own unique element in a sea of things that are very different but compatible with each other, like the Xbox and PlayStation, they're not going to bother, are they? No. So the fact that Skyrim's on its way is different. I, I think well, because, of, because the control still... structure of this, there may be more of an option now for third-party developers to go, screw it, let's work with you. No, it's, it, the control now is... is the control is on, a par- on parity with the it, PS4 and Xbox One. Yeah, in fact, the, the but... secondary controller, the, 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 the mains one for second players, looks like an Xbox controller with a bit of PlayStation thrown into it. It, it, it looks like a cheap third-party Xbox or, P- or PS4 controller. Like, yeah. That's what it looks like. Pretty much. it's... <laughs> now that stuff's all on, on, on parity, so... Yeah. But then, the Wii U was. Like, <laughs> the Wii U, apart from the screen in the middle, the Wii U controller is 
functionally identical to a PS4 or Xbox One controller. So we didn't know about Skyrim. And that Bethesda, was announced in the trailer. And Bethesda is still refusing to confirm that. That's quite interesting. And also, none of that footage in the trailer will have been actual footage running on those units. It'll yeah. all have been green screen and laughter after, because yeah. that's how that's how video production works, dog. Um, <laughs> Yo, dog. Uh, uh, a new version, by the look of it, of uh, Splatoon. I guess that was inevitable if they're pushing well, unless for the it's back with It must be a new version of Splatoon. Yeah. And Splatoon did really well for them. It could be that. They could, they could, they could have gone the whole like Game um, of the Year edition sort of route with it and just be like, yeah, yeah it's an extended version of Splatoon. Because um, that, that makes sense. Usually when you're releasing your first wave of games for a new console, there's usually some, in the recent years, Game of the Year edition yep. of a big title. Um, a new Mario Kart. New Mario Kart. New Mario. New Mario. New 3D Mario game. Um, um, and of course Zelda Breath of the Wild which, which we all we knew, knew was going to be a, a, an which does game. look pretty gorgeous it looks alright it looks, it looks, looks alright the, the visuals it's sort, hear... of like, it's sort of like if Skyrim was made by the team who designed Firewatch kind of it's just the sort of but I heard, semi-cell shaded kind of look to it all I heard that um, from like the floor impressions at E3 gone that the Wii U version of uh, Breath of the Wild has some chuggy frame rate problems Ah. And scuttlebutt on the on the switch is that it's not hugely more powerful than the Wii U. Yeah, it's based on Nvidia Tegra processors that power a lot of Android gaming tablets. Mm. So odd. So, yes. had in conclusion for the Switch, are you excited or I'm do you ex- need to know more? I'm intrigued. Yeah, they've got my attention, <laughs> but. You're trying to think of the Calvin Candy line from January. No, I know what the Calvin Candy line is. I'm just not. I'm not doing it. I'm not going there. I'm like, you do that in your own head. Okay. Um. I. So. The thing is, Nintendo have been very bad with moving digital purchases across platforms. Mm-hmm. So the virtual console service and the digital game service for Wii U, for Wii, the original Wii, that didn't. That stuff didn't carry across to the Wii U. If you bought a virtual console, say if you bought a SNES game on the virtual console for the Wii, you didn't then own that game on the Wii U. You had to buy it again. Mm-hmm. They gave you a discount, but they made you buy it again. If you buy a virtual console game on the 3DS, it doesn't carry across to the Wii or the Wii U. They've only just implemented a unified account system across all your platforms, which doesn't all of your purchases are still tied to your individual pieces of hardware. Yeah. So if you lose your Wii U, or your Wii U breaks, or you lose your 3DS, as I once did I'm on my second 3DS, you lose everything on that 3DS. You lose! There's no, there's Wrong, no, sir! Wrong! There's no cloud storage, there's nope. no purchase backups, there's nope. nothing. Nope. So they need to have that stuff in place. And yeah. if, that, if that stuff isn't in place properly, and your purchases don't come across from previous like virtual console public... Like, there's no reason to keep you buying... Well, of course, there's a business reason for them to do it, but there's uh-huh. no actual reason for you to need to keep buying the, re- the same re-release of the same SNES game three times. Just to have... The- Once you've bought it, they just make it cross-buy. Sony manage it. For Christ's sake, why can't you, Nintendo? Or, or, re- or reboot the, the Virtual Console as a, as a subscription service as opposed to buying it a la carte game by game. If that stuff isn't in place and improved, then that, no, no way. No way. All I know is if they don't get in touch with that Etsy person who made a plush puppy yeah. um, uh, to make official merchandise, I won't be interested. <laughs> I will not be making a purchase. Good sir. Fuck you. Now, we're about to dive into review territory. The first thing is for a TV program, uh, which went out last weekend. 
we will talk spoilers, but only because I think you kind of have to to just dissect the pros yeah. and cons of this. Uh, then we're going to do your emails. After that, we talk in Doctor Strange. We talk in so much Doctor Strange. Now, we decided to leave that to last because obviously there's going to be spoilers and any of our listeners from across the pond won't be getting it for another week and a half. So, so listen, to that, yeah, listen to that bit at your peril. But first, we're going to talk about something that the States are also not going to get until April. But I, I'm i talking about it because I want to save you from it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Class. BBC Three's first drama series since it went digital. It's first big drama series. Uh, also, apparently, they only have the budget uh, for one big drama series currently per year based on its current format. Obviously, if stuff's successful, BBC will put more money towards Money well spent. Has gone toward class. A Doctor Who spin-off aimed at young adults slash maybe young teenagers slash definitely adults slash the Torchwood crowd slash the Sarah Jane crowd slash skins slash misfits slash... It doesn't know. Um, I don't know. Some cunts. It, it's run by... It's run by... <laughs> some cunts. Love to watch cars. Class is set... Uh, it's by young adult author Patrick Ness. So that alone... That at first makes me think, okay, so if you like things like The Hunger Games, stuff like that, then you know Harry Potter, then this might be for you. It gives you credibility to the young adult audience. Yeah. If but, you don't think that the young adult space isn't already overcrowded with imitators. Yeah. But I mean, all the same, you know, that everyone's got a story to tell. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not familiar with Pratt yeah. work, so I can't judge just to the quality of his young adult novelization work. Yeah. That it's not... I, I don't know what it's like, so I don't know that it... I don't know that it's not just more Hunger Games yeah. stuff. Yeah. It, it, it probably isn't, but it might be. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, but, the, but, that, but that's the thing we, with this. It's like you've got an author to show run the series. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. A storyteller, the same way that I would. Um, I wouldn't necessarily want a TV show where all the scripts are by Neil Gaiman, but I would love to see Neil Gaiman show run a mini series of some kind. Well, we're getting, we'll see what happens to tell when his, his work story. comes to the small screen when American Gods come out. Uh, of course, yeah. Well, well example. There's there's another example. He's heavily involved with that, so. Um, so I'd be I'd be for that, but uh, the premise is essentially uh, a group of teenagers in a school, have to defend the world, specifically sort of their local area, but the world at large, from, from horrible ne- from horrible, nasty <laughs> um, creatures and beings from other worlds that come through a portal within the school. Ah, yes, the bunk all the time. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, and like the Hellmouth in Buffett. Or like that town in Once Upon a Time. Basically, it's Buffy. It's Torchwood. It's anything that has ever. It's Warehouse Thirteen to an extent. It's a Town Called yeah. Eureka. It's anything that's ever had a place where something weird happens and a group of people have to defend everyone from it. It's a format that has been done to death. That is not to say that it's dead on arrival. Shows can do things we've already seen. There's a reason we'll go and watch every bloody version of a Dracula movie that comes out because different storytellers well, tell things you differently. Bloody will, I won't. Oh, treat yourself I've still to... not seen Dracula Untold. Treat yourself to Dracula three thousand at some point. It's dire. But um <laughs> the the point is that like the point is that like, you know, that's fine. Uh, but but rule one uh, rule rule one for something that's doing a format that has been done to death is to not say that it's doing that. Mm. Especially not say that it's doing that in the show. Mm. Class has a bit where the characters say, Oh, it's like the Hellmouth in Buffy, or it's like the tiny once upon a time. So already I'm like, yeah, why should I watch this? It's like this thing that we are not totally ripping off at all. Right. But it's exactly like that. I think people, I think regular listeners to this 
sort of will probably have guessed how I feel about this. <laughs> but so I'm going to reiterate before we go in. I'm going to reiterate before we go in. I never go into anything. We said this last week, but I never go into anything wanting it to, to suck for me. I want Why to, would we do that? I want to watch something and love it. Why would we start watching something and going, I hope this is bad? Yeah. Similarly, though, we don't cheerlead something before we see it. We can be excited oh, we, if it looks like it's... Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. We weren't like going into Doctor Strange, for example, yesterday, wearing our Doctor Strange t-shirts and writing like, you know, hashtag I have Agamato bitches and, think... and starting fandoms for Doctor Strange's movie. Yeah. Like, we were going into it going, this looks good from what we've this, seen. From what we've seen, this looks promising. I'm, I'm excited to see this because it's probably going to be good. Now, class... based, on, based on the pedigree of yeah. the people who have made it yeah. and also the stuff we've seen of it. Now, going into class... Based on the pedigree of the people who were involved with it, i.e. the people who've moved over from Doctor Who production to, to work on this, mm. and also the, ooh, what, the, what I've seen from it, which is nothing, nothing. Uh, beforehand. Like, not even a trailer. No, a, a, a like, trailer of sorts dropped the week before. There, there was, there was and a, I there completely was a teaser, missed it. Was like, I didn't see it at all. It was, it, oh, it was two weeks before. It was NYCC did it. And it doesn't really give away, it didn't really give away anything other than what we already knew. And it was very heavily filled with Peter Capaldi, who is only in a 10 minute segment of the opening episode. If that! Yeah. If that! Um, Peter Capaldi playing the 10th Doctor. Um, <laughs> I love Peter Capaldi. I really don't like the 12th Doctor. Yeah, the, I love Peter Capaldi, but. Because we've not met the 12th team, Doctor, that's The production why. team don't seem to know what to do with him. We only and met it's the 12th. Really upsetting. We only met the 12th Doctor once, and that was his eyebrows in the 50th. <sighs> Um, isn't it weird that that is probably going to be the most consistently sort of like best 12th Doctor moment that people will be able to think of is that moment before we even met him. People will look back at the ears and say, what are the highlights of the 12th Doctor's era? And it's like... Those uh, eyebrows. The eyebrows in the 50th because we were like, oh damn, that's the new guy! Oh! And that was it. Um, again, love Peter Capaldi. And again, wanted to love class. Um, but... Wanted to. I it's overtly familiar to. premise... Made me go, really? Yeah. And the fact that it didn't give us anything made me suspicious. And I think the reason it didn't do that is because somewhere within, probably BBC Worldwide, they were like, we're not sure what this is and we're not sure it knows what it is. This is hard to sell. Uh, even Doctor Who Magazine, for example, um, the editor, Tom Spilsbury, was asked online on Twitter, I believe it was, a couple of weeks ago about the latest issue, Class is a tiny little thing in the top corner and not the main cover story. And someone said, why is Class not the main cover? The main cover, for example, is something that, that there's not necessarily anything to plug right now. Yeah. It's Captain Jack, and it's about Torchwood's 10th anniversary. Um, people were like, why not Class? And he said, plain and simply, we didn't think it would sell issues. Why not Lloyd Bourne? But that's true, because there is nothing to go off. People weren't hyped, apart from a very small kind of... When I say small, I don't necessarily mean like five people, but like there is a small clique on the internet on social media. No, they're not, it's, were, it's more than five people, but they're all under five feet tall. Oh god! <laughs> class had a dedicated fan base before it showed anything. And yeah, because really that's what excited. happens now. But that's odd to me. I find that so strange. Like you could say about American Horror Story Six, we didn't know what it was going to be about, so why are people hyped? Because there'd been five seasons before, and you knew what kind of quality to expect. But class, what didn't quality know that anything. is, I'll I'll leave the jury out on. But yeah, um, but just to sort of offer a bit of more neutral ground here. I out of the bat, I'm just going to say it. I've watched the first two episodes that debuted on BBC iPlayer. I did not like the two episodes that debuted on BBC iPlayer. Matt, you watched them? I, I didn't hate them. Yeah. I wouldn't go so far. I, I didn't love them. Absolutely did not love them. I think I but... think we could describe it like this. I felt like I was being fed a shit sandwich. 
you felt like you were being fed a Marmite sandwich. Yeah, I don't like Marmite. So, but, but I was you like, could at least appreciate mm, the bread, at least. This is, sort of like, yeah, this okay. is definitely food. <laughs> this is definitely actual food that is fit for human consumption. Yeah. Like, technically. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if I like it. I, mean, I think I might not like it. Now, before anybody goes, well, you just hate it because you didn't like Doctor Who Theories Night. No. Um, my problems with class are mostly structural. Yeah. And. Um, dialogue based are my it's, problems with it. it. Plus, first episode well. is clunky, exposition heavy, it's full yeah. of bad dialogue. One of the characters, they keep making a thing about the fact that she's 14 for no reason. Yeah. Like, I can't, I, I can't see an appreciable reason for people to keep telling us that this character is 14 and she's skipped ahead two years. And Does that even happen in the British school system? No. That, that, I'm pretty no. sure that doesn't happen. No, but she's a like, super genius, apparently. However, two episodes in, we've yet to see something to showcase why she is where she she's is. She's tutoring one of the other characters in maths. Yeah, but we don't see her. We don't see her exhibit that no. brilliance in some way. She's a very smart Normally, person. in a show like this, you would have a sequence somewhere in episode one that would basically make you go, Oh, damn. Yeah, she hasn't really done anything, has she? No, not She's much She's not yet. done anything. Not much yet. Episode 3, apparently, is more centred on her. Um, but here's the thing. For me, a first episode of a show should be an esta- a, a setting establisher. So it should be like, this is where we are. These are the people we're going to follow, or at least the ones we want you to know about right now. And this is the basic premise of the show. The basic premise of class doesn't actually rear its head until the last five minutes, where... Um, Peter Kapaloo goes like, this is what's going to happen. There's a thing now. This school's going to uh, draw activity and I can't be everywhere at once. <laughs> no, no. Actually, actually, see, this is the thing. Yeah. Yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you <laughs> the can. The entire premise of your Because character. you actually, you, know, you have a machine that allows you to travel anywhere in time and space, including, as we've seen, there's a precedent for in the series, places <laughs> you've already been. Yes. But, um, which is interesting, because is this the same call? At the, ta- at the same time, you're already there. But this is Cole Hill Academy. It's not Cole Hill School. It's Cole Hill, Aca- well, it's Cole Hill Academy. Fair. Although the theatre is exactly the same as it was when we last saw it. Yet the corridors are different. <laughs> Head teacher's the same, but none of the other teachers seem to be present. Head teacher's the same, but not for long. And apparently now none of them wear school uniforms at all. Which would well, imply no, that maybe this is just the sixth, sixth form. form part. Right, so this is down the road, okay? Yeah? That's, that, that's what that would imply. It would imply that, yeah. Cool. Why have they never set that up in the show? <laughs> Why would the sixth form building have a memorial wall for people who have either worked at or died whilst living, whilst working at the other site? Why does a school have a memorial wall? Why does a school have a memorial Very good question. Why is S. Foreman listed on the memorial wall? She didn't die, as far as the school knows. She just didn't come back one she, day. Well, well she dis- she's missing. The head teacher from Remembrance is on there as well. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, pretty weird. Um, <laughs> but anyway... Uh, the show, the show, so the, show, the show does what a pilot should do in only its last five minutes. Well, the show does what a pa- the show thinks it's doing what a pilot should do because it tells you everything. One of the students is an alien prince, an alien prince of a planet of the prefects. Um, but yeah, he's in flash for some reason when he flashes back to his planet because they don't want to. They, you get a brief flash of what him and his the character originally looked like. Yeah, but a, thro- but a forms. throwaway a throwaway line establishes that the flashbacks we see to the civil war on this academia world is actually what April's picturing in her head. Yeah, exactly. So, she but then pictures... we still see. But before we do that, there's an establishing shot of the planet's surface, where it's all these forests and everything. And it's like, well, how can she see that? 
And how can she picture what the TARDIS looks like? Because they don't mention that. But everyone, all of the characters... So whose flashback is this? Are, ...are suddenly wearing school uniforms. And so it's all, like, clearly including, adults. they're all, yeah, they're all adults, but they're a mix of teenagers and, like, Catherine Kelly's character, not teenagers. No. Nope. But they're all in the school uniforms. Like, you, get, you, get, you, see, you see the queen of this planet, who is clearly that, the, your <laughs> character's mother, but she's basically, like, a 30-plus-year-old actress just wearing a school uniform. So let's establish this, shall we? Uh, Charlie what? Charlie is an alien prince and that on is a his planet. Because yeah. we couldn't remember his name. Yeah, we had to I try and sit down I and figure still, out the name. I still can't remember the girl who's 14's name. Nope, can't remember her name. Can't remember her name. I cannot remember her remember name. Remember April? April I remember, but only because you said it. Yeah. So I couldn't remember that. And, and I think the only reason we remember the name's April is because it's a really kind of bland lead character well, April, name. April O'Neil. Yeah, but... That was when it was interesting. Yeah, well, exactly. So um, it, 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 it sticks. Ram, we remember because Ram. episode two, his name said every two seconds, and it's an unusual name. Yeah, it's a good name. Yeah, but it's just um, like, oh, okay, we know his name because you keep saying in, in episode two, everyone keeps saying it. That's why I remember yeah. it. Um, Charlie, we only remembered because I kind of remembered it while we were trying to figure out the names. Like, oh, it's Charlie because you said Luke, and I yeah, said I thought it was Luke for some reason. Yeah, because it's a generic name. Um, it's whatever so his name is Charlie it's real is an alien from a planet of academics who were apparently in the middle of a civil war and by civil war we mean some of the academics wanted to get rid of the leaders of the, the society by sabotaging yeah, things yeah they say she was but, a domestic terrorist but then they also say it was a civil war so it was either an act of terrorism or it was uh, that uh, it's but, not made clear but not only that like, we're meant to then think, oh, so they're, like, rebels, they're the bad guys, because she acts like a bad guy and a bit of an arsehole. So, like, that, they're the bad guys, right? But then you find out that when the bad guys are caught, they're not imprisoned or rehabilitated. They have this creature put in their head that rewires their brain to an extent where they know that they're being punished, but they have to serve members of the royal family, and they can't do... To- Right, can we just take a moment to establish that we're not even explaining the setting of the show right now and already this is a cluster. This is just backstory for the two of the characters. Yeah, so for some reason a evil presence species plague, whatever, called the Shadowkin uses the Which look the... an awful lot like Paraviles. Yeah, I will say this, the actor in the actual prosthetic suit does a damn good job yeah. with it. Well, when but... they first see him a couple of times I was like, Are they doing Paraviles it's again? Like a... But also the shadows. So they're also Vashti Narada. So, so the shadows, but they're also on fire. Yeah, but they're not on fire because at no point do they actually reference the fire. But it looks like lava. It looks However, like, yeah, at one point like... someone has an amputated limb that doesn't bleed, so maybe this fire is, is it cauterized? But if yeah. it cauterizes the wound, what a crap thing to have as but an ability! Because surely, if you're cutting someone's limb off, you want them to die, not to survive. It must have cauterized so... the wound and bled to death before he could hit someone. Oh, good lord! Yeah, it's like it's it's it, it's <sighs> okay. So this is that. The Shadowkin take over the world because apparently the Civil War leaves enough gaps in society so that they can invade and consume the planet. But then they also make it sound like they couldn't do that anyway because they can invade people's shadows. Yeah, but that's where the piranhas of the air live. So, there's that. Um, The whole planet is wiped out, except apparently they might not be. All the souls of its people might be kept in a casket of souls. A cabinet of souls. But again, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. So... (coughs) Wait. We're getting ahead of the ourselves. The only two surviving members of the race are the prince, who's got this cabinet, and the rebel who but is now in servitude. Not, it's not made clear if they are actually members of the same race. No. 
or if they're just different factions of the same race. It's not made clear. But also, also, they escape and have obviously been on Earth for a long enough time so that she is a teacher. The cast members who are not aliens who, and who don't know anything about them pre this episode know her as a teacher. So she's been there long enough to be their teacher. Charlie's been there long enough to be a student, get a boyfriend and, and like, you know, be someone that everyone knows. Yeah. So they've, so here's the first thing. We, the first scene we see of them outside of the school setting is them in the flat they share where they're talking about, oh, I could have done, you, did you kill them? You know about that. So we're like, oh, what's going on here? Yeah. What should have happened is we should have, the story, because here's another thing, the show doesn't have an in. No. We don't have an in. No, no. We should, our in should have been, if I were to pick apart what already exists, our in should have been April. Yeah. April should have been our in. Yeah. April should have introduced us to the world around. We should have met Ram, who is an asshole, but apparently doesn't, uh, bullies these kids, but apparently doesn't have any friends of his own. No. So he's not like a high mighty bully character who socially is in a different place and then he's just an arsehole. Um, no, but it's his insecurities. No, he's got no friends at all. He's an arrogant sports star. He's pushed everyone away from him. He's got so, a girlfriend. But he's got a girlfriend somehow who who is never really mentioned before the moment we see her, nor, um, nor do we really feel the loss of her. We feel more that he's traumatised by the moment. It's almost not, like not a female her. character was introduced solely, uh, introduced and killed off solely to give uh, a motivation she was to the male character. She was fridged. Actually fridged. Um, Doctor Who fridged a character oh in the God. first season of its new spin-off. Awesome work, guys. But April should have been our way in. We should have got to know April. We should have got to know a bit about her, a bit about her home life, which we did in episode one, to be fair. But, we should, you know, we, we should that should have been the focus. She's the focus. And then... All of a sudden, she's in the school, and some shit goes down, and it's a what the fuck moment, and the, like the being is shot or something, and then standing there holding the smoking gun is Charlie, and you go, wait, what? And that, do you know what I mean? That's yeah. the beginning of our journey. It's like, who are you? And we start to learn about him, and then maybe in the same time we learn that Miss Quill, the dickhead science teacher, is also involved. That's how you establish premise to keep us around. You tell the story over the course of your episodes. He was aroused. What cut, giggity? What cut? But it's sexy and right now. It's God, not God, sexy. It's at so all. right now. It's practically tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Go watch the class premiere video. Go watch the class premiere video on Five Hundred Fans. It's great. Like yeah, um, they, kept, they kept saying it was like they kept saying in the lead up to it. It's sexy. It's a sexy show. It's about sixth formers. Yeah, sixth formers who are. I mean, here's the thing. You can't call it sexy because over here in the UK, the age of consent, the age of legal, what's it, is sixteen, right? So anybody who is about 15, 16, 17, 18 can openly be like, yeah, I find these characters kind of hot. Yeah. Anyone older than that, it's creepy. It's freaking creepy. Especially because one of the characters explicitly made out to be 14. Exactly. And I have no idea why. And when this goes to the States, they're going to be confused as all hell at the sexiness aspect. Because in the States, you've got to be 18. So they're going to be freaked out. They're going to be like, is this show meant to be for paedophiles or something? No, I'm not saying that. But do you know what I mean? They're going to be like... If I find the sexy, if I find the sexy, that's wrong. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, it's it's, it's, it's just... like it, it's so it, it doesn't know where it's pitching. So here's the thing: episode one should be an establisher, and then going forth, it should be like Black Adder. Like <laughs> episode one should establish your basic premise, and then we learn <laughs> things about the characters throughout the next episodes. Yeah. But episode two was already uploaded as well onto BBC iPlayer for you to sample. And because we wanted to judge it fairly, we watched episode two as well. Episode two is a straight up monster of the week storyline. The only thread that continued from the previous episode in episode two was 
Ram's new like synthetic leg and how frightened he is by suddenly everything is different. But it does also introduce a new ongoing plot thread in that there's a scare quotes Ofsted inspector who's Ugh. said to inspect Miss Quill. Episode two who, and they're already doing that. Who turns out <sighs> to be a robot sent by the governors who are mentioned offhand by the head teacher in another scene. So it's it seems oh that God. the governors of Coal Hill are some shadowy organization who have access to human like robots. So, episode two should have been Monster of the Week, because that's obviously the sort of show it wants to be. It wants to be Buffy. But the subplot should have been us learning more through a main character, say, April, learning more about Charlie. And so, where do you come from? This is stuff we should learn as it goes on. As it stands, episode one is a series worth, a mini series worth of exposition, clumsily bundled into the opening forty-five oh, minutes. It's just so overcrowded. And then the last fifteen minutes is essentially our Doctor Who quota for that the Doctor character for the year. In here's the Doctor. He shows up. He non-violently defeats the villains as he should do, but then leaves them with the explicit instruction to deal with horrible, horrific, violent threats themselves because he can't be there. Yeah. Also, April's heart is connected to the bad guy's heart because reasons. Because the gun, which is, we're told, works one way, then doesn't work that way, and then just gets used like a normal gun after that until it gets destroyed. Yeah, why does the gun kill the person who's firing it? I don't know, but then it doesn't. It kills the person who's firing it, and then all of a sudden, when it when they need it to not do that, it doesn't do that anymore. Why did the Doctor specifically show up in the Royal Trophy Room on the planet of the Academics to save these two people? And then go, I'm going to make you undercover operatives at Coal Hill School. When he could have taken them anywhere. In time and space. Anywhere. I don't know. At don't all. Know. Was he hiding them from the Shadowkin? Because here's the thing. If he was hiding them, he probably could have hidden them anywhere. I doubt the Shadowkin travel throughout time. Because if they do, this is also making that thing that I really hate, where Doctor Who keeps losing its way and deciding, oh, everyone can time travel. Everyone can time travel now. The Daleks. Okay, I get it. The Daleks can time travel. They've tinkered with enough Time Lord technology over the years to find a way to do it, but they do it like emergency temporal shifts. It's on time, they can't, on they can't target times so much as aim for well, them. Well, they can. Mm, can they? Daleks have been time travelling for a while. Yeah, but it's more a case of like they target times. Like they uh, sort of get there. Uh, it's not a specific... They are not. They can't be as specific as a Time well, War. Certainly pre-Time War they were because that's what the Time War was about. Yeah, okay. Well, fair enough. That was, that was kind of the point. Okay. But, but, but okay, Daleks can time travel. We've got that. Cybermen, I don't like Cybermen time traveling. I don't think Cybermen can honestly But they can, can now, though, because the ones that were started, the type of Cybermen that were started in Nightmare and Silver in the future are suddenly involved in the plots of Dark Water. And you could say, well, Missy did that. Oh, yeah, But yeah. then again, how are the Cybermen in Victorian London in the next Doctor when they belong from a parallel Earth 2007? Yeah. I don't like the fact that that keeps happening. The only reason it happens is because they're like, isn't it interesting? To see these futuristic villains in a period setting. That's no. interesting. It is the first one or two times you do it. It's not interesting. Then it gets annoying. It is the first couple of times you do it. Yeah. Well, so. it is. Um, but then it gets, like, pointless. So, Cybermen can time travel. Sontarans apparently can time travel to an extent. Um, and now class, like, if they're establishing the Shadow King can do it, then the universe is completely open season for anything that wants to kill, maim, or invade. Yeah. Pretty much. So... Why are we in a show set in a school 
with undercover aliens and a kid who's got their heart connected to something and an underage kid who apparently is super smart. We've not seen that yet. Because uh, from what I can tell of episode three is we've got a vaguely... We've got a thing that's sort of like combining zombies and plant monster kind it's of It's the thing. crinoids! It's not. <laughs> and if it is, if it is... Don't allow it that point. It's a Seeds of Death sequel. Is it Seeds of Doom or Seeds of Death? Uh, death. Seeds of Death. Seeds, Seeds of Doom death. is the Ice Man. Is the Ice I think so, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's like, so it's a plant-like thing that is bringing back people from the dead because the main plot is the 14-year-old girl character. Like, her dad comes back, even though they established in episode two he died when she was younger. Oh, okay, yeah. And it's like, what the hell is this? Um, but also plants, but also what... Basically, my problem with class is this. It expects you to get on board by beating you over the head with too much information in episode one. And then in episode two, forgetting most of that information. And I think what's good... Prediction. I think what's going to happen is that, like, episode six, where... Because it's eight episodes. Episode six, where it will suddenly start to charge into toward finale territory, where they'll be like, oh, we need to build up seven and eight. Episode 6 will be when they finally get back to the stuff that they set up in episode 1. But by that point, it's too late. Because you've already pushed me away, guys. Um, Performances? Not bad. But there is this weird thing where... I think the actors are all very capable. And and I would like to see them in other things. I do quite like that. It's a very diverse cast. Yes, that's... Which I really like. That's probably the best thing about the show, actually. Because it's a good diverse cast. It's modern Britain. This is what Britain is like. Yeah. Do it. It's like, yeah. good. And all those people online will go like, they're just making it diverse for racial diversity. It's like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. This is yeah. the world we live in. That's the world we live in. Deal with it. Let's, um, and because it, cause they don't make a thing about it being racially diverse. No, like, which is, well, how racially diverse we are. There is one ongoing thing where those two characters keep saying like, oh, it must be a white thing. And the first time uh, they made that joke, I was like, okay. But then it was like three times. I was like, but I think that is, is also, it, is it, the, but is this the writer's way of writing Characters who aren't white? Because so, that's a bit weird. I think that is also a reflection of a lot of the mood of uh, of our generation, the generation yeah. below it, of it being but, like... But implying that if you're Asian, you wouldn't watch Downton Abbey. Yeah, like, well... This is weird. And the Bechdel test reference made me sick. It's like, oh, I guess we've bit... already broken the Bechdel... We've already failed the Bechdel test. Just by saying much. it doesn't make it... Because, again, the Bechdel test isn't an official means of... It's, documenting it's, a, it's a joke it's a joke it's a joke it's a joke that when you think about it and apply it to stuff you go oh it's actually quite interesting yeah. at the same time to reference it is just oh god I, I think uh, I think the actors are very capable I would like to see them all in different roles yes. in a different thing um, I don't think the characters are overtly relatable and again they'll be like it's not intended for you as some people have said Yeah, but it's, it's like I'm you. sorry I'm in my mid 20s I'm not that far removed from my late teens. I'm in my late 20s. You're, you're not that far removed from your late teens. You've got a decade mm. of, and I'm sorry, you spend most of your 20s still feeling the same as you did when you were about 16, 17. You just learn things along the way. That's true. Like, the, the phrase big kids exists because people never really feel like they grew up. They just take more things on board. You don't grow up, you just get taller. That's Exactly. There's no point being childish. If you can't be grown up, you can't be childish sometimes. But I, I am I am still of an age where I'm like, I can relate to their problems because it still feels like yesterday to me. Yeah, mm. I don't relate to these people. And I'm seeing people younger than us. Like, some of the collaborators who work within like the five events and things like that, you know, people like um Phoenix and, and, and Joel and stuff, like who are, who are closer to that age. Who don't get it? Yeah, they don't relate to it either. And it's like, well, there you go. Like, yeah. Who are you aiming this at? 
aside from this very small group of specific enthusiasts online who have embraced it before it even aired, who is the show for? Well, because it ain't for kids, it ain't for adults, it ain't for teenagers. Like, there's gore, but then they hold back on it. So it's not gory enough to definitely be for an adult audience, or a young adult audience I who like they pushed horror. it more in episode two than it did in the first they one. They did, but they still held back. Well, they still hold back. Like, you don't... see. But I mean, it's not time, Evil Dead at the end of the day, Oh, no. So. But I don't want gore to be the main drawing point for the show yeah. either. Gore should never be the main pulling point for the show. Yeah. So, I just... I'm going to give episode three a go, because I am a sucker for Monster of the Week. I can't help it. I grew up watching the real Ghostbusters and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Power Rangers in particular. Like, so good. Monster of the Week is something I dig. Like, so comic good. books. Like, when you first read a character, a lot of the time, especially if you're going back and reading the 60s stuff, that first year and a half, it's new villain every issue. Yeah, back when they were, like, sing- like throw shit in the wall see what sticks. Sort of yeah. Single issue stories, yeah. But there would still be kind of, there would still be sort of threads that would follow through. Yeah, yeah. And this show doesn't seem to be showing that yet, really. Also, how the hell does a dragon become a tattoo? Um, well, we've got some, (laughs) we've got some thoughts from people. People thoughts? That have thoughts about class from people. We've got some communications from people which, uh, which people have thoughts about. Nice. About class. Thoughts about? Thoughts, class thoughts from people, from real people in the real world. Let's do it. What have, what have um, they said? This one's from Jean-Luc. This is a class, ra- a class rant with no context. But then, <laughs> actually, gives us context at the start of it. So. Oh, cheers. Cheers, Jean-Luc. Thanks, Jean-Luc. Nice one. Um, for mouths, I had been dreading class. I'd just like to point out for non-regular <laughs> listeners, if you do spell something wrong, Matt will read it that way. Listen, I'm professional. I read what's on the page. <laughs> so I'm assuming you mean for months, John Luke. <laughs> That's what context means. Um, for months, I had been dreading class. I thought, why would bring out a spin-off set at Cole Hill? Who actually wants this? Then when they finally released the trailer, my interest started to grow and I started looking forward to it. So, for two weeks. You've been looking forward to class, so fair enough. <laughs> I thought this was pretty much going to be the British Buffy. No. I thought this was going to be better than the crap Doctor who had been putting out over the past three years. I That would have been really nice. It would have been great. However, now that I had seen it, I kind of want to unsee it. It wasn't necessarily bad. It just wasn't worth my viewing time. Do you know You know when you're the best bit in your show is about the Doctor doing sonic stuff, then you've probably done something wrong. Yeah. The worsted part is as a dedicated Doctor Who fan, I now need to watch every week to see if something good comes out of this. No, Jean-Luc. You don't. You really don't. You don't need to watch it. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Yeah. Um, P.S. I've not slept in 26 hours, so my opinion may change once I've slept it off. Everything going through my mind. Also, questions for you guys. If anything, how did class make you feel, and was it worth your time viewing? I think we've adequately covered how it made us feel. Mm. As for whether it was worth our time viewing, uh, well... It depends if anyone listens to this podcast. Because if people listen to this podcast because we're talking about class, then yes, it was worth our time. Um, if not... Probably not. Um, yeah. Was you think it was worth your time? I don't think it was worth my time. Well, you never um, know until you try. I, I, I think. I think with anything, you should always try everything. What at least once when it comes to sort of culture and everything. Like, give it a go. If people are like, oh, I don't like reading. When was the last time you read a book? Probably when I was a kid. Well, give a book a go. Pick up a book and try it. You might change your mind. Don't you work on an egg? Yeah. <clears throat> I just no. I don't think it's worth my time. And I. I 
god. I think I, I think I, I think I think I think I think I think I I understand Jean Luc's story in that I want, but in my case, it was I wanted to. I wanted to see a trailer and go, oh, yeah. But I saw a trailer and went, oh, it's kind of what I was expecting. I think I think there's an immensely big wealth of talent working on it. Things just sometimes don't click. Yeah. And in this case, it seems to be across the tone of it all and where the company making it want it to be and set who to sell it to is what's not clicking. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my fair assessment. I think the problem is the way I've talked about class in this is, is me with my polite training wheels on. Yeah. There are ways I could talk about it, which I did to you as we were watching it. We were Snapchatting each other back and forth, talking about it, and I was I was obviously a lot more vulgar about it. But that's because it was initial thoughts. Me, however, I have no I have no stake in that game. No. Um, <laughs> some more thoughts from Jacob, who emailed us last week. Yo, Jacob. Yo, Jacob. Hello, Chris and Matt. Here are my thoughts on the new hashtag sexy and right now Doctor Who spin-off class. <laughs> Original working title. Yes. First of all, I hated the theme tune. I thought it was terrible. And I don't know why. Yeah, I didn't love the theme tune. It's jarring. By episode yeah. two, I sort of got it. The ending, but the theme, barrage of colour was too much. The ending theme's better. The, the the opening with lyrics is I don't like. Yeah. Also, um, the whole the whole vortex kind of designs a bit like much. It's like it's a vortex of images. Yeah. It's still a vortex. It's like, yeah. eh, you know what I mean, like Sarah Jane's thingy does a sort of vortex, but it's sharp, quick, finished. Torchwood doesn't even do that. It has a flickering logo that over a few bars of music slowly shows up. That, that's all you need. And Sarah Jane is now that's the end of the theme music. Done. And this has been Chris's jukebox. Yeah. Anyway, on with Jacob's email. I love those titles. Um, they're so short. Jump to the point. The Wait first the episode. Shut up. The first episode tonight we might die was I felt a bit oh no sorry I've skipped a bit now because you because you were incessant prattling <laughs> you're the mouth of a prattling jackanapes that's very true first of all I hated the theme tune I, I just said that no I did just say that I've lost my place in this email because you weren't sure <laughs> god damn it Chris I'm just going to start from the top again alright I'm sorry Jacob hello Chris and Matt here are my thoughts on the new hashtag sexy and right now not two spin off class <laughs> first of all I hated the theme tune I thought it was terrible and I don't know why that's okay you don't have to know the first episode tonight, We Might Die, was I Felt a Bit Forced. Oh, so it's a terrible title. Um, yeah, I mean... It's... No, I don't need to comment on it, because okay. we'll get off track again. Okay. Um, <laughs> I also didn't like how the character of April handled the fact that she had to share a heart with uh, the Shadowkin King, the Paravile-looking thing. Yes, not just me, he does look like a Paravile. I also didn't like the way that she discovered that there was alien life. I think she handled it too well. I probably could have phrased that last sen- senate better, sentence better. Yes, you could have. Um, but don't don't take it personally. I rub everyone from the grammar. It's fine. Um, also, we live in a... Uni- the Doctor Who universe is a universe in which humans have already made first contact, so people are aware that there are aliens. Yeah. Um, I quite like the character of, of, of Ram. I think I like the character of Ram the most as well. I felt like Mr. Penis... Sorry, I had to get that joke in there. You should be ashamed, Jacob. Wrote the character the best. Please excuse my grammar. On the other hand, I've never been so excited. I've never been so excited to see the second sexiest Doctor. First is obviously Colin Baker, Peter Capaldi. I know you meant excited, but I just couldn't leave it alone. Um, <laughs> Colin Baker, Peter Capaldi. Even though I felt he was shoehorned in, I didn't care. The second episode was an improvement on the first episode. I really like how it focused on Ram and Tanya. Tanya, that's what she's called. Oh, she's okay. called Tanya. I feel like Ram is, de- is, is defiantly, definitely. Sorry, sorry. The most developed <laughs> character. I really hope the series improves if we see more episodes. Love from your third biggest fan, Jacob Knowles. P.S. Sorry the email was so long and sorry about the grammar. Jacob, 
please don't apologise for your grammar. I understand if if you just have trouble spelling or if you're dyslexic or whatever, that's fine. I, I, I know I take the mic, but I, I do it with jest because I, I, I think it's quite fun and I love words and I, I, I like... I like when people miss. I like malapropisms. That's the word for when you use the wrong word for things. I like. I like them. They're fun to read. As a reader, as an actor, they they're really fun to read. So please keep sending us long and bad grammatical emails because they're fun and I like them and I like reading them. Um, and nobody also, said, nobody send an intentional bad grammar. Yes, yeah. don't send intentional bad grammar. If you're genuinely, if your grammar is genuinely bad, please send me into. Please send it into us because I will enjoy reading it. I love because I loved going through the email and and read and reading excited instead of excited. It's great fun. So Jacob, don't apologize. Please continue to send us emails because I I have great fun reading them. I I don't mean I don't. I'm sorry if I offend you by making fun of your grammar, but it, it's just something I, I I'm not meaning to upset you. Please continue to send us in correspondence because it's great and I love reading it. Um, I'm gonna say this. Yes. Why did April set off the fire alarm to get rid of everyone for the school? Why was there I randomly tweeted that? Why I was... tweeted yeah. that when I was watching the episode. Why was there randomly a sequence where she just got up on stage and talked down to the other kids like they're all <laughs> stupid? stupid. <laughs> what was I tweeting? I tweeted, "Nope, can't set the fire alarm off to get everyone out of the building. We're gonna have to go on stage and have a meltdown." I know that feeling. But it's just the fact she was like, you know, it's not important to you because it's not on Instagram. It's just like. This sounds like Just a this sounds fire alarm, This April. doesn't sound like, like a, this doesn't sound like a seventeen year old girl. No, it sounds like a middle aged man trying to make trying observations. To make, trying to make observations about youth culture through the mouth of a seventeen year old girl who's a character that he's creating. Yeah, so I don't like, get it. I don't understand. I don't understand. I do not. Um, huh? But why do none of them have friends? Really? Because they have to be friends. No, no, but that that sort friends. of story only works better if they if they encounter each other within this, and it's this whole thing of we know about this thing, no one else knows about it, no one believes us, and they sort of bond over their unique experience. Whereas in this, they're all just friendless losers. It's like who, Tanya says who, at the end of the first episode, we're friends now, right? Who whisper at full volume in a silent classroom in front of the rest of the class. In the beginning where they're just like, oh, Miss Quill, she's got to stick up her ass. It's like, she can hear you. <laughs> she can actually hear you. You're talking in a, in a quiet classroom. What is this? Listen, don't worry about it. But there's the really sweet boyfriend character who then never shows up. Don't worry about it. Oh, God. Jacob's got some questions. Fair enough. Hit me, Jacob. First Damn of all... Damn it, Jacob. Ow! Why I did you do that? I love that you send us two emails, Jacob, as well, because, like, comments, questions. It makes it nice and easy to keep track of. Please keep sending us in stuff, Jacob. We love it. I think Jacob's um, been paying attention. Yes. Hello, Matt and Chris. First of all, I agree with Chris that the Five Doctors is amazing. Yeah, well, no, it isn't. It's not amazing. Oh, wait. Are we cracking into our... our... Oh yeah, sorry, no. Our I, main wait, segment. This class, the class stuff is sort of overlapping with that. We'll do the full announcement for it now. Uh, <laughs> this is Matt and Chris, two lifelong Doctor Who fans reluctantly answer Doctor Who questions. Who are you? That was Troc right there. That was tr- Troc. That was some Troc. <laughs> you just wait for my Troc album. We're down out. with the kids, namely oh, the kids from God. late 2010. Oh, Five, five Doctors is a great, a great No, it time. isn't. It's a great time. No, don't get me wrong. I love it. I do love it. Why? It's... Did you read the review in the Times? <laughs> Tomorrow's Times. <laughs> five Doctors is great. No, I love it. It's just pants. Like, like a, lo- but like a lot of you. classic Doctor Who. I, I do love it, but it is a bit poo. How dare you? Um, You'll suffer the same fate as Barusa for this. Anyway, I, my <laughs> questions are, what are your least favourite Doctor Who episode, classic and new who, and what are your Doctor Who guilty pleasures? Guilty pleasures. Um, did we not cover this last week in terms of favourite episodes? No, I don't think we covered worst. We covered favourites. Um, yeah. In terms of guilty pleasures, 
guilt. Yeah, oh, that's a good one. But in yeah. terms of guilty pleasures, um, I don't count this as a guilty pleasure because I I see Paradise the Towers TV. Really? <laughs> yeah, I love Paradise Towers. Really? <laughs> I really like it. I don't know why. Is it Richard Bryan? Is that one? No, it's, I think it's, it's the two old women and oh, that's and, quite good though. And yeah, the, and the guy who the fact the fact they're basically cannibals. It's the two old women and the deserter and the. <laughs> Yeah. And the swimming pool robot <laughs> and build hyper happiness and the Kangs. Like, it's great. And then um, Richard Bright has to show up and spoil it, but, like, I do quite Well, he's like great until the last episode where it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah. Zombified Richard Bryant. Frankenstein's monster yeah, Richard Bryant. Um, it's very terrible. I love Love and Monsters. But not oh, as, I can't stand it! But not as an episode of Doctor Who. Oh, it's awful. I love it as 45 minutes of telly. So bad, no! I love it as 45 minutes of telly because it's daft. No, it's just it's bad. It's daft. It's just bad. It's daft. It's so bad. It's just bad. Would you agree, though, and you don't have to, but would you agree that it gets far too much harsh criticism within the Doctor Who sort of fan circles? No, I think it's fairly... Because I think I there think are worse stories. Split. I think there are worse stories than that. I think it's there. fairly divisive, but I think enough people like it. Fair enough. Well, that's a guilty but, pleasure for me, that one. But yeah, it um, definitely... It, yeah, it does get a harder time than some bad stories. Hmm. But I think because it it's like one really divisive episode of such a strong season. Yeah. Um, Like, those first four seasons of New Who are so consistently strong Yeah, that when you get episodes like that, they really stick out. Uh, Also, pretty much most of the Colin era. Yeah, yeah. Specifically Attack of the Cybermen. Because... (laughs) God! Again, as we've said before, as as we've we've said before, as we've said before, the actors you most of the actors cast in that era are great, yeah, and a lot of the characters are pretty damn great, and some of the premises are great, but the scripts do let down that era more than more than anything. Oh yeah, Um, (laughs) and uh, and the character choices as it goes on as well, but. There's something about Attack of the Cybermen. I yeah. just really dig Colin and, and Nicola in it. Their performance in it is great. And there's some really nice bits in there, like the chameleon circuit. He, get, he fixes it, which is a problem. You shouldn't do that ever. Don't ever do that. But it that. means we get one story where the TARDIS is working. So that's kind of cool. It's kind of cool to see that. Anyway. My last questions. My last questions for Jacob. Oh, what was it? What was the least favourite one. ones? Oh, least let's, let's just, on the count of three, just chuck out a Doctor Who story, oh. either new or old, that you just hate. Three, two, one. Time anything lash. from season nine. nine. Um, what? Sorry? Uh, anything from season nine. Um, a new Who. I Kill the Moon. Hate Kill the Moon. Oh, Kill the Moon's pants. Oh, um, so bad. Hate Hyde. Hyde's rubbish. Um, God. Uh, I like all. I pretty much like all the tenants. Episode. It's not until Matt Smith comes on. I don't like Fear Her, like... but but I can I re- like Fear but I can Fire. rewatch Fear Her yeah. and find stuff that I do like yeah, in it. I like, I like, like interactions Fear. between them are great, and the bit where he suddenly goes um, missing, and it is like, oh shit, what is Rose gonna do? Like, is is genuinely kind of yeah, tense. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but I have to I have to think about episodes that I don't like for New Who. I have to think about that. I get back to you, Jacob. We'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> Last questions is what what is your favourite Doctor Who cliffhanger? Mine is in Death of the Daleks Part Three, where John says to Belial, "Stop! Don't move!" in the credits roll. <laughs> Thanks for answering my questions, also to Jacob Knowles. It's a very specific reason. I I I'm very familiar with Death of the Daleks, and I I can't quite remember 
what makes that cliffhanger so great. But if you like it, well, that's fine by us. Because I, I like Death to Die. It's a good story. Favourite cliffhangers? I mean, I've definitely got a soft spot for... Um, not going to let you stop me now from Caves of Oh, get, uh, get part three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not so much a cliffhanger as a mission statement of, yeah. guys, next week, shit's going down. It's going to go, it's going to die so hard. <laughs> like, um, so, I like that one a lot. I love, same with Bad Wolf, the cliffhanger of Bad Wolf, I yeah. really love. Yeah, they're not as And the, fact that, and the fact that it has, and I didn't even realise it the first time I watched it, the fact that it, it the last line of the doctor, that the doctor says is a freaking Big Brother reference. Yeah. Which I didn't realise the first time. It's so obvious when you realise it. But it's the fact that in that moment, you're so heated up and ready, geared up to go, that you don't go, ah, oh, he's referencing that thing from the start. It's just there. I'm going to get you. Yeah, it, it's sort of, it's so, it's so beautifully subtly done, like the Bioshock reference in, um, in Playtest from oh, yeah, Black yeah. Mirror. Like, it's just there. And if you notice it, you notice it. And if you don't, you don't. Um, uh, I love um, that cliffhanger. The, the Dragonfire episode one. The actual literal cliffhanger. Yeah. Where he just dangles <laughs> on the cliff for no reason. Looking really sort of befuddled on the end of the Uh Oh, um, Christ. What else? There's a few, there's a few more that I really, really like. Uh, there's some good... I like the cliffhanger of Unearthly Child episode one. Because you are firmly... Uh, it's firmly saying to you, yeah, they're not... They're not... Uh, they're Dal- junkyard. Uh, Daleks episode one. Yes. The first the plunger. Just Barbara losing her shit. Um, <laughs> what else is good? Uh, Chicken and chicken and Jackman. Um, <laughs> buttery biscuit base. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, the Green Death. I can't remember which episodes, but there's some good cliffhangers in Green Death with maggots and uh, slime and all that good stuff. <laughs> uh, Art in Space is a couple of good cliffhangers with yes. crawly, crawly things. Um, is is it in Deadly Assassin? Is is one of them when Tom's about to be hit by the train? Is that the cliffhanger? No, it's uh, he's being held underwater. That's drowning. it. That is that's, that's a good one, one. That was one that got edited out of the original VHS releases. Yeah, that's a good because one because it's, it's so terrifying. Mary Whitehouse like, didn't like it. I just remember like the cliffhanger in the Matrix is like, oh god, he. I mean, really? Yeah, yeah that's yeah, definitely one really. of them. Um, oh Christ! Really? In terms of the modern who, I think. Bad Wolf might be my favourite just because it, yeah. well, ne- it gears you up for next week. Although, the experience... No, there are two others, but they're effective based on first broadcast, less so much on repeat viewings. The cliffhanger, a cliffhanger at the end of Army of Ghosts, when the sphere opened and the Daleks started to yeah. come out, on the night it was like, what? Because remember correctly, they'd kept it completely out of the papers, like it hadn't leaked. Yeah. So were... it was a massive surprise. And also Daleks versus Sidemen was then what we got, which was... Pretty oh cool. god, yes. And then uh, and then also to that end Stolen Earth. Yeah. Doctor Regenerating. We were like, wait, yeah. What? And for, for a whole week good. the UK was basically Who's around the, the water cooler in class and everything going like, Is this it then? Is he dead? Are they gonna get out of that? Well, I don't understand because even the TV trailers for the next week's episode were either recaps of Stolen Earth or clips of the Daleks from Journey's End with no Doctor in it. And it was like, what is going on? What's that happening? was pretty great. On the night, that was pretty great. Yeah. And the Panerica Opens cliffhanger's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Because you have no idea where it's going to go from there. And neither did the next episode. And that's why the next episode works so well, is because it doesn't answer the cliffhanger. Um, okay, we've got one more set of questions and then we can get stuck into Doctor Strange. We can go from Doctor Who. We're running very long. Yes. Dirty um, <laughs> Okay, so... Last set of questions from from Lewis Christian, whose questions we may or may not endorse. Yeah. Um, dear Christoph and Matt, if you could cast any Doctor Who as Doctor Strange, who'd be best at it? Um, Tenant. Tenant. Yeah. Next question. Um, e- e- Eccleston would be damn good at it, but the problem is that 
um, the curse of Eccleston would would befit, and the, like film, the film wouldn't be very good. <laughs> I, think, I like Chris Eccleston, but I think he's a bit too rough-edged to get the smooth arrogance of Doctor Strange. Imagine a Tenant Strange and an Eccleston, Dormo, uh, an Eccleston uh, Mordo. Yeah, all right. In a classic yeah. Strange and Mordo relationship. Yeah, yeah, go for that. That'd be pretty cool. Go for that. Um, yeah. Um, if you were in charge of creating a spin-off for Doctor Who, but we're although, although, use... although, actually, before we carry on, although, pluck Pertwee from the 70s. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, if you were in charge of creating a spin-off for Doctor Who, but weren't allowed to use any major elements from the parent show... What would you pitch? Um, I would. That's a tough one, mate. The um, obvious one is unit, but then you can't use unit because it's a major element from the. Well, from as long show. no, no, no. I think you could get away with unit no, as long as long, as, long as, uh, but as long as it wasn't a unit where you're constantly referring to the Doctor. I also know previous adventures, Stuart. Yeah, because she's a major. No Osgood, so that's all the good things about unit in the modern series. That good you things. Well, like We're going to have words. I generally like Osgood. Um, well, so... well, I liked Osgood. Until the second yeah. episode, and was like, oh, "Look, actually, no opinion like is ever wrong, but that one is." I like so, I like Osgood when, when she first appeared, and yeah, then yeah, Osgood in the fiftieth is. I love Osgood in the fiftieth because it was this weird little treat in the fiftieth anniversary of. Hey, guess what? She's kind of like you. And then guess what? That thing that Stephen Moffat and the production team happened, where they go, "Oh, people like this one thing. Let's do all of it all the time." <laughs> oh God, no! Don't stop! 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 Don't do that anymore. Um, um, so what else? I would. I want to see a spin-off set in that little cafe from Remembrance, where basically it's just the dude because it's Jeffrey in it from um, Fresh Prince. Oh yeah, it it's, is. Yeah, I, it's yeah. just it's just him and the various people who pop in oh, and have a chat with him. Yeah. And I don't want any alien interaction. I don't want any Doctor Who activity. I just want him having conversations with people over cups of tea. I would, I would pitch six part series, uh, Alan Bennett style kind of thing. I would pitch, <laughs> I would pitch an X Files style with Mulder and Scully stand-ins time agency show. Next <gasps> question. Oh yes, uh, no. time with, agency would be a great one with uh, monsters of the week and travel into different uh, times and places to track down uh, temporal anomalies. But obviously, no Captain Jack, so it'd be different sort of. Uh, Different sort of, of group, of crowd. Um, sum up class episode one in just three noises. You first. Oh. Well. <sighs> My three noises are. Hmm. Uh, That's my favourite non-recurring segment we have when people ask us to stop things up in noises. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Right, we've got that out of the way. We've got one Doctor spin-off out of the way. Now we can get into the good Doctor. Uh, yep. That was the segue. <laughs> I was trying to think of a, like a what? tag on, but I was like, no, that um, works. I'm an idiot. Guess, um, guess what came out... Yesterday, as we were recording this, the Tuesday gone, as you're listening to it. Marvel Studios, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange! Let's talk non-spoiler for five minutes. Yes. Um, so <laughs> we can never talk about anything for only five minutes. No, let's, let's try non-spoiler for five minutes. To basically, I, I don't want to say too much, because in terms of people going to see it, I'd rather them not know too much. But we'll yes. say this. Um, if you enjoyed Iron Man the first time you watched it, you're going to enjoy this. You're if in luck! If you're still kind of confused... Well, in terms of Iron Man, the parallels are there because you have got um, a wickedly talented actor sporting some kind of nifty facial hair playing a narcissistic dickhead 
who sort of learns to be a better person. So that comparison's already there. If you liked Iron Man, you're probably going to like Doctor Strange. But also, if you're still a little like, really, it's a dude in a cloak and there's magic, what's it about? You doubted Guardians, didn't you? You loved it, didn't did. you? Did. You doubted Ant-Man, Ant-Man, didn't you? You enjoyed it, didn't you? Yeah. 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 How about you don't doubt it? Give it a try. Suck it and see, Strange. Suck it and see. Is it strange? Is it nice? Maybe it's both. Um, um, the basic premise is Doctor Seems Strange is a brilliant surgeon, one of the best in the business, but also bit quite of a arrogant yeah. and confident in his abilities. He picks and chooses patients. He's quite famous. He's been on talk show circuits and stuff, like talking about medical health studies and all these things. He's pushing the boundaries of medical research. He's yeah. like He's a I... semi-celebrity, yeah. specifically within his field and within the wider world at large. He's got a luxury penthouse in New York. Um, a funky little drawer where you open it and all his watches are revolving. Yeah, he's got an on-off relationship with a with a previous lover, and, and but they're sort of on good terms. And, you know, he's very confident. He's got a sports car, la la One night... In his reckless arrogance, he crashes his car and his hands are cut to fuckery. Crushed, basically. They are, yeah, I mean, you literally, the way it's depicted is it's like, this is why Scott Derrickson's uh, choice as director was quite interesting because he's, he's mostly had horror. He's a horror this, guy, yeah, yeah. And it made it look like the dashboard, like, swallowed his arms. Pretty much. And it was just like, oh, God, you can hear the crunches of the metal and bone and they're, they're indecipherable from one another. <laughs> so it's like, oh, God, his career is over. Um... He's being pled with Rich. I'm trying to remember Rich McAdams' character's name. Christine. Christine keeps saying to him, like, you know, you could still do brilliant things. You can still save lives. But that's the thing. It's not about saving lives. It's about saving his own life. It's, it's about, about his own reputation. It's about him. It's about his ego. He discovers of a yep. place, uh, a place out in the. In, where is it? Where's the city? It's it in Nepal. Nepal, yeah. The place. He, he remembers. He discovers about this place where apparently someone was once healed from a life ending sort of in terms of where they could go with their life. Yeah. Life ending injury. Crippling injury. Crippling injury. Yeah. Um, so he goes out to seek this cure. Thing is, it ain't a cure. It's a lifestyle. It's an ability. It's an entire world of magic users, all under the influence of the Sorcerer Supreme, the Ancient One, Tilda Swinton. See, I thought it was vaping. Oh god, but that's the lifestyle you were vape nation, bro. Vape nation. It's a lifestyle. It's vaping. You don't need to sur- do surgery. <laughs> just, just take this. Just vape. Tastes like vanilla. It's, it's, um, no, it's not toxic like smoking. Um, so he he goes out there and learns about mystic arts and starts to take to it. You could say he starts to master of the mystic arts. Uh, Which is great because they need all the help they can get. A former student of the Ancient One who's decided that he's going to bring forth an apocalypse of a kind to our world to help save it. Um, they also so save the world they don't always, they these, these yeah they need all hands villains. on deck which includes Stranger's allies um, Master Baron. Mordo he's Baron. not he's not Baron at this point is he uh, may, Master may, Mordo be a Baron at played by Shiratel Ejiofor who's another student of the Ancient One who believes devoutly in her and uh, his life is better for studying there yeah. uh, Wong the new sort of keeper of the uh, text the librarian of all the ancient sort of tomes and books played by Benedict Wong who is freaking brilliant and might be my favourite character of the movie he's actually. very good he's all wong um, Rachel McAdams is Christine the surgeon who he's in an on, on again off again romance with mm. although we discovered that they were quite heavily involved before the film yeah, um, she's brilliant she has a fantastic scene involving astral projection yeah. and an on table emergency surgery yeah. um, mm. and Tilda Swinton is fantastic Mads Mikkelsen is the villain uh, Cassilius uh, and his band of uh, sort of followers are, they feel threatening. Considering none of, of them have a line of dialogue. No, they're all silent. And they're all silent and they're all sort of clearly stunt performers in their 20s and 30s. Mm. They feel terrifying, mm. like they're a threatening force to be reckoned with. 
Doctor Strange is like any good Marvel movie. You don't have to know anything about it to come in and by the end of it, you'll know what you need to know. The story doesn't end at the end of this. It's not a throw everything in and hope it works. It's a start the story, tell their first kind of big I mean, adventure. It is a complete story, but yeah. Yeah, but, but if you're a comic book fan, you're not getting the whole like 90s, 2000s comic adaptation thing of we've got to throw everything in because this might be our only time. Yeah, They're confident that we can tell stories again. But that's not the focus. The focus is this tale, this character. Uh, Cumberbatch is great. Cumberbatch is brilliant in this movie. He's awesome. Very Hugh Laurie-esque American accent. Yeah, he's definitely a, a bit of house in his version it, of Stephen It takes Strange. you a moment yeah. to get used to the voice, but that's only because you're used to his normal voice. Then you don't think about it again. Some incredible action sequences. It, visually, it's, it's, an, it's the most visually inventive thing Marvel have ever done. It's... Like, where, it like before, really... before, before this Ant-Man, I would have said, was their best 3D choice. Because the perspectives and everything yeah. are beautiful. Yeah, we ended up seeing it in 3D and it was really... It was we're, we're kind, kind of glad we did, yeah. Because um, reality's but, folding in on themselves. Yeah, what you see in the trailers is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of where they go visually. There's one particular the... sequence where they whip their big visual dick out. Oh, and yeah. Go, this is our cap- this is what we're capable of. Big old thick visual dick. Stuff that won't be unfamiliar to readers of Doctor Strange from any era. Mm. However, we're seeing it in motion. And good gods it works. Steve Ditko's art style is represented beautifully within yeah. the visuals of this movie. Um, there is some nods to very old school Doctor Strange stuff. But at the same time, a lot of it is kind of vanilla. It's like you could approach this from anywhere and get it. Um, <clears throat> which is great. It does a good job of making magic feel grounded in something. It makes you realise, because people are like, is this going to be distracting? Because like, suddenly there's there's uh, spiritual stuff like, this is going to be out of nowhere. It's like, no, that's not the case at all. This film establishes, this stuff's already going on. Yeah. There's a reason you don't know about it. It's already happening. And um, that's that's a big boon to the movie, because at this point, the Marvel Universe could have anything in it. We just need to be introduced to it in the movie. Yeah. It already exists. Yeah. Um, nice post-credit sequences, nice little teasers. Uh, phenomenal finale act. Which, yeah. Which without, without, yeah, which involves sort of the manipulation of time and which direction it's going in, juxtaposed to the actual sequence itself. Yes. Um, so that's pretty damn it's solid. It's very, very good. Very inventive in terms of some of the... Again, really inventive action, both mm. visually and just like in the... The ideas that are on display here yes. has, has got it's more it's less conventional than um, a lot of Marvel stuff has been in terms of its action and the framing of it. Yeah, but also keeps it grounded in a sort of martial artsy vibe with a lot of it. Yeah, um, with good reason. With good yeah, reason. the martial arts works well. Actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, so years. I mean, also, and here's, here's another thing. I mean, we don't get, they get too deep into this, but obviously there was a lot of controversy about around sort of uh, race with casting. Yeah, it's a very diverse cast, actually. Again, but for some reason, something we'll go into in the spoilers. Uh, part of Tilda Swinton's character arc sort of makes me see why they did that. So yeah. it's not once you watch the film, it's not particularly, and that's not just it's not justifying casting within Hollywood per se, but in the terms of this movie's narrative and that character's journey, I kind of get it. Yeah, like there was, there was always, there was never going to be a way they could do this, and they're going to have the same problem with Iron Fist down the road. There's never yeah. going to be a way they could do this movie without its sort of, without its overtones looking back in like the Eastern mysticism stuff. Yeah, there's never going to be a way they're going to be able to do it and do it without 
it being problematic. But now they've done it, they've got rid of it. Yeah, they're moving, they move past it. I'll give them this. Got it out of the way. They, it's not. It's they yeah. don't fall into the whole trap of Western shows up and do it better than us. Strange is as good as the other students. He's not better. His unique thing is he seems to have this natural affinity for it. Yeah, and that's what makes him sort of a bit of a standout in terms of the teacher, those being taught. Is that wow you. You pick this up in a way different from how we did. Yeah, he picks it up quick. Yeah, like it doesn't make it look like it's easy, and it doesn't make him the chosen one. Not at all. He's one, like that he's one of them. Um, but it's just that he approaches it from a different direction, and that's what makes him unique. Uh, I highly recommend if you can see it in three D. Do yeah, visually, um, it's we didn't worth intend it. to. We ended up seeing it's it. It's on IMAX as well. That I, yeah. I imagine it must be pretty mind blowing on IMAX. So do give it a ruddy good go by Jingo. Um, yeah, go for it. Just just go for it. And, and do stick around during the credits, as we said before. Yeah, uh, as always, it's a Marvel movie. Stick around right till the end. Let's dive into spoiler territory for a bit. Let's okay, so yeah, if you've not seen Doctor Strange yet, and if you're in the States, you will definitely not have seen it yet, unless you're a naughty, naughty person. Because um, it's only out in the UK. Go and see Doctor Strange, then come back and listen. Do it, do it now! Do it, do it now! Do it now, or we'll hurt you with our eyes! It's noise on the microphone. I'm gonna have some food for this next bit, just to pre warn you. Oh, for fuck's sake, I'm gonna to talk eat. more. I'm very hungry. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> we're freshening our juices up. Sorry, we're just juicing. Yes, we can't, we're going on so long, we can't, we can't dwell too long on this, on this excellent film! But let's do it. But what did you like? Spoiler alert! Wong was holding the Wand of Wattoom! Yes, he was. <laughs> Let's just go. He mentions it by name, and then you see it later on, but he doesn't mention it when he's holding it. So you only know it's the Wonder Woman two if you know what the Wonder Woman two looks like because you've read Doctor Strange. Pretty it damn cool, nice. right? Pretty yeah, damn was, cool. There's lots of good things like that. It's, um, it's really good. Some very cool stuff with the Sanctum itself. Uh, oh, the, the idea that there are multiple sanctums. I like London, Hong Kong, and New York. In the comics, the Sanctum Sanctorum is just like Doctor Strange's pad; like it's his. But, but what they do, the way Wong describes it, as the three power, three places that they knew were going to grow into great cities. Yeah, uh, and there was that's why they were positioned where they were, and they create a protective barrier around the Earth from certain threats. Which is a great idea. It's like, oh my god! Mm. So like, everyone goes about you know, the Avengers protect us from stuff. It's like, yeah, these these well, magicians says that it's the, like the Avengers masters protectors. of the mystic arts have been doing it this whole time. Yeah, but yeah, like like that was cool. The Wong acknowledges the Avengers and stuff, and he doesn't talk down to them. He's like, but he's sort of like they, they work in this. Thing. Yeah, we do our thing. Yeah, and we've been doing it for a long, long time. Yeah, which is pretty sweet. I liked that. I like that a lot. I like. Um, I'm trying to think which the, the cloak of levitation. I like the fact that it is it's it's just it, in a cabinet as one of the artifacts in the New York Sanctum. And it being alive and having its own personality. It's sort yeah. of like a live action version of Carpet from Aladdin. Yes. Um, oh, that's a great comparison. It's got like an it's got like a like a dog like feel to it, I suppose, in the way that it takes to Strange and protects him. Yeah, and I like the fact um, they the offhand reference it as like, yeah, that's quite a stubborn artifact. Yeah. Doesn't like many people. But it likes you. So again, sort of doing this whole thing of like he's not better than everyone else. He's just di- no, but he, no, he, his personality. There's an element of that, I think, in it. There's a bit of it, but that's sort of the hero's journey thing. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of. I guess thank you, thank you. I've just been provided food from the kitchen of dreams. But the hero's journey is also the is always <laughs> the journey of a hero who's white and rich. So yeah, fair play. Like, to that. Uh... Now that's what I was going to say about Tilda Swinton. Um, the ancient one is obviously a very uh, Eastern mysticism kind of character and everything. So that's. Casting Tilda Swinton was a point of controversy, especially when Scott Derrickson was just like, well, it was just who we've cast. Just but like, then, yeah. also making it... Also making it someone... Also making it 
um, a character who would who was rooted in that sort of Eastern mysticism thing would then also be problematic in terms of racial stereotypes. So, but the reason I was kind of fine with it in the end, and I think the reason why it works is because the character is turns out to not be a hundred percent noble character. She's not a villain, but she's been doing something very bad the entire time. But so, with good intentions. It would be a bit crappy, I yeah. think, to a degree, if it's just sort of... Like, I'm not saying, obviously, like, you know, the, the actor that they should have cast it with, like, is above doing evil things, because that's saying that, you know, again, sort of profiling, putting people in boxes. Yeah. But at the same time, the, it, it, it's sort of this... The way she carries it, the way she holds performance, the way she delivers it herself... It's a tricky thing to get an effective right. moment when it happens. And it was always going to be a minefield, but... Yeah. Spoilers. Um, she's damn good in the role, though. She's yeah, I love the role. Oh, she's great because she's clearly having fun with it, and like her ancient one isn't sort of like studious and humorless. She she is uh, playful to modern. a point. She's, she's modern, modern, yeah. Character. She's playful. She's got a bit of sarcasm about her. She's pragmatic. Um, she, you know, she's not kick-ass as well. And it's like Mordo says. Is, is that scene that's in the trailer that that's <laughs> the end of the trailer that again is in the movie where. He, he hands dot, uh, Stephen the slip of paper saying Do you hear that DC scene in the trailer that's in the movie? I know, right? Uh, so with Shambhala written on it, it's like, is this my mantra? It's like, no, it's, it's the Wi-Fi password. We're not savages? Yeah. <laughs> like, and they, like, everyone wears robes and stuff, but that's because it's, it's like, it's, they treat the magic. The students of the place. Yeah, they treat yeah. magic as a martial art. Yeah. So everyone's wearing the robes because that's, like, you would if you were a martial artist, you would wear your geek. Or G, however you say it, when you when you do your karateing, um, it's a it's a school. It's 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 a place where people come to study and teach, and not everyone goes there to become um you know a master of the mystic arts. Like you get the guy who who points things in the right direction. He went there and healed himself. He he got the knowledge he needed to to heal himself, and then went back to his life, and that's what he does. Yeah. Um. So it is that kind of feel to it. Um, it's not they they remove some of the the tying it to eat to the stereotypes of Eastern mysticism that are cropped up in the seventies and sixties, yeah. um, and yeah, I think they just do a, a a great job of making it feel accessible without it. It keeps it grounded in some kind of reality while also allowing you to do things that warp the fabric of it. They introduced the multiverse as a source of power for magic. Yes, which was nice. Um, with the idea being that you're drawing power from other dimensions to affect to affect this one, so you become a sort of conduit, um, which helps you get around a lot of the... This is the laws of physics being broken and thermodynamic stuff that are inherent with any sort of high concept thing like that. Yeah. Which also ends up to be, again, big spoiler, the, the main threat of it ends up being the Dormammu from the, the Dread Dormammu. The Dread Dormammu from the Dark Dimension, who's a, is a, a dimension beyond time, therefore ageless. Mm. Not an, um, he wants to consume all the other dimensions. Um, so it being Ky- him manipulating Caecilius into letting him invade Earth's dimension, yeah. yeah. Uh, I quite like that, though, because obviously his thing. Going back to the comic book movies in the 90s and the 2000s, there is this big emphasis on, like, oh, we're doing a movie of this character, well, then we have to use this villain. Yeah. Um, and usually it doesn't quite work out. Uh, but they do it because they're like, we've got to put them against their greatest villain. It's like whenever they do a Sherlock Holmes-related project, they'll it's go, it's got to be Moriarty. Moriarty. And it's like, it's does it have Moriarty. to be? And it's like, yeah, it's just in case we dog. don't do it again. 
Or a big dog in a field. <laughs> in the moors somewhere. Um, so when they said Doctor Strange movie, obviously your first thoughts tend to be, because we still are sort of pre-programmed to think like that, is it's going to be Baron Mordo or the Dread Dormammu. It's neither. But it is partly. Like, Cassilius is definitely the villain of the movie. But it's, and yet... Dormammu's the impending threat. And Dormammu is the ultimate threat that Doctor Strange has to deal with, but it's not... Like, the whole thing isn't initiated by Dormammu. Well, no, it's not. It's not initiated. It's Caecilius. Caecilius is... Allows Dormammu to cross over to this dimension, and therefore Doctor Strange then has to deal with Dormammu. But Dormammu is... I don't think it's implied in any way that Dormammu set those events in motion. No. Um, but it's, it's might Caecilius... even, he might not even know who Caecilius is. Yeah. Even. It's Caecilius's folly and he's contacting Dormammu that allows everything to take place. Yeah. But Dorm- then it's also, it is also implied that the Ancient One's secretiveness led to that and that Mordo calls her out on it. It's like, if, yeah. if the Ancient One hadn't been so secretive about her drawing energy from the Dark Dimension to keep herself alive, then Caecilius wouldn't have been forced, wouldn't, you know, he... He wouldn't have questioned her. He wouldn't have gone against the teachings, and he wouldn't have. And he wouldn't have stolen the ritual encounter with the dark dimension. He would. He would have. Was well, she's she's accidentally she's accidentally created two villains yeah. as well because Caecilius is the bad guy, but Dormammu, uh, not Dormammu, I keep seeing Dormammu, Mordo, as we learn at the end of the movie and in the post credit sequence, is now going to be a bad guy himself to yeah. a degree because he's like this has to end. There are too many sorcerers. He was like he, he was. So... It seems like his quest is more. I'm going to make sure that none of them turn. By getting rid of a load of them, but to his standards, like <laughs> yeah, he, it's he's he was so invested in the moral code that the ancient one taught that when that 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 the illusion of her being shattered, even though it's not, you know, she's never made out to be a bad person. She made some bad decisions, yeah, and she regrets them, but you know, she did them with the best of intentions. But you know, she the knew the end was coming as well. That was yeah, nice. exactly. There's a great moment when she so. She she's mortally injured and, but she astral projects and ex- and sort of extends time. So her and Strange have this conversation as she's dying, as they are both astrally projecting, and it's and she's saying like I can I I've looked into all the possible futures I could and I could never see past this moment. Mm. So this has this is it for me. I can't get past this point. Um, this is down to you and where you go from here. Mm. Um. So does he bring an aspect of the whole chosen one thing into it there? Yeah. Um, because the, the Strange was always a part of that. He'd been looking into his fu- into his future. Yeah. But Strange is only able to do the things he does. He does with the aid of the people around him. He can't do it on his own. Yeah. So there it's, is not, that. it's not like he finds like a magic um, stone and just becomes immediately the most powerful person in the world. No, no. Or they're like it's called to you, like the Eye of Agamata, for example. He uses it. Because he nicks it and gives it a try. He nicks it and reads the instructions. It just like, happens to be with him for most of the story. And then even at the end, he's like, yeah, I'm not ready for this yet. Well, he's not the Sorcerer Supreme at the end of the film. Exactly. There is no Sorcerer Supreme. The Ancient One dies, and no one's chosen a successor. And it's not... He doesn't say anything about becoming it, or wanting to become it. He just... He, he takes over he, the New York Sanctum. Yeah, he becomes the guardian of the New York Sanctum right. Santorum. And that's basically it. And, and that's a yeah. good place to leave it. Yeah. Because um, you've still got somewhere for that character to go, then. Yeah. Like wearing yellow gloves. 
Yes. So in the in the first of the, the first of the mid credits, post credits teaser is the mid credits one, which is I looked it up and it is directed by Taika Waititi. Nice. And it is it's Doctor Strange now wearing his yellow gloves. Um, over his the effect the makeup on his hands was really gnarly. They got mm. the scarring down on that right, quite nasty. Um, and he's got that constant tremor in him. But they're they're solid by the end of the movie because he's learnt to face his own demons. It's not just the neurological damage as much as it is his own psychological issues that are uh, causing it. Um, but he's he's sitting in, his, in the sanctum and he's having a conversation with Thor, and he's saying, "Hey, you know your brother Loki? He's a big threat. Like we keep a list of like all like mystical threats to our, our realm, <laughs> and uh, Loki's a big one. So why have you brought him to New York? Like, what's going on?" <laughs> um, Thor's like, "Well, you know, we're looking for Dad." So, it's like, so if you find Odin, you'll leave. You'll yeah. take him away. And Thor's like, yeah. yeah. Strange's like, right, let's go find Odin. So that's so Doctor Strange is going to be in Thor Ragnarok then? Quite possibly. So at least for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we, we, there, was that, there was that set pick from a while ago with Thor and Loki in street clothes hmm. looking for 1778 Bleecker Street, which is Doctor Strange's address. So there so was a the hint of that. Do you think this mid-credit sequence is actually... A scene that we won't see in Ragnarok, but we'll see the scene before I and think after. It, it might actually be a scene from Ragnarok, in the similar way that Ant Man had the Civil War scene out of context in it. I yeah, think maybe. it might actually be a scene because it doesn't feel like the rest of the film. It like in terms of, mm. I mean, it was it was directed by Taika Waititi, so Bless but it looked. There is also, and it's got that considering lovely, our history of mispronouncing names. It's got that great mostly. visual gag of Thor being like, "I don't drink tea." And then he pulls out, and, it, and he's suddenly got a huge glass of beer. Mm. Then it cuts back to him; he's drained it already. Then it cuts back to him again, and it's refilling magically. <laughs> it's, it's a really great gag. And if Thor Ragnarok's full of that stuff, because this movie was also surprisingly funny, it was so much like, funnier than I. There's a lot it was of snark be. from both Steve, from both you, Strange. You expect some and, comedy in the Marvel flicks. Like, yeah. You always expect some, but like, like you say, it was the snark levels. But it's great. It's, it's, it's one of those the movies Leonard where the, snark levels. The, the character, it's ice cold. The characters <laughs> in this movie do that great thing of where, as soon as the audience starts to, as soon as the writers think the audience is going to question something, the characters get there first, yeah, and have that moment, and they go, yeah, well, yeah, this, and then you get your explanation for it, and you're like, and it's that moment of of the writers basically sitting to the audience and go, yeah, yeah, we know, we know, just come with us on it, just come with us, all right, just, just come with us on it on this journey, and we'll all get there together, yeah, trust us. Yeah, we know this is weird. This is why it's weird. Just, but it's a story. It never piles story. it on too much. Either. No, it sort of trickles the information as and when it's needed. Yeah, um, and gives you plenty of breathing room to catch up. Fight sequences, brilliant. Some of my favorite fight sequences in Marvel movies. Yeah, again, it's the, it's the there, visual... there's a mix of martial arts, but it's the visuals. It's the visual inventiveness it. together with that physical grounding of the idea of magic as a martial art, mm-hmm. which also carries into, into actual martial arts. Like, it's clear that the student, again, this is a thing from the comics, like, Wong teaches Stephen martial arts as well as as well as well him learning magic because Steve, Stephen Strange understands that he, he needs that physical grounding. Yeah. Um, and it's clear that in... Uh, what's the place called now? Where he... What's the ancient ones? Oh god, I can't remember. It has, it has one of those really unusual names yeah. where it's spelt very different from how it's said. Um, I will very quickly he... look it up. But the, these disciples are taught magic and martial arts in tandem. They taught magic as a martial art. So, and you see him have some have some lessons with Mordo, and who's, who's clearly a, a warrior. 
of yeah. some kind. It's a Kamataj in Kathmandu. Kamataj. Um, Kamataj. Yeah, they re- it was originally uh, Nepal, but they removed that aspect because China wouldn't like it. Because China and... and uh, it's, it's no, in, no, 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 it, it's Tibet, sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, China it, and it Tibet is in Kathmandu, issues. but I don't think they made a point of saying Nepal, did they? No, it's, right. no it is Nepal. It's, okay. it's, it's, it's oh, Tibet. Oh, Tibet originally. So they, so they couldn't right. do Tibet because China... China! It's pronounced China. Huge. China. Um, <laughs> beautiful wall. Tremendous wall. Tremendous um, great wall of China. Oh yeah, there's that great wall movie that's coming out as well. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, but yeah, it's just like that first sequence where the Ancient One opens up Doctor Strange's mind to the possibilities of the multiverse. Mm-hmm. And he's going, and he's just dodging going to place after place after place with just visual lushness and mm. that weird sequence where the hands start growing out of his hand and the hands start growing out of those hands and he's just covered in hands and then you pull out and he does everything on the screen his hands yeah and it's just wow oh, Jesus Christ and you see Domamu way before he gets revealed later on like you see him you're like what is that that's a big face like, I didn't click that it was Domamu you just get a flash moment. of it and you're like oh oh I was I was um, sort of like could that be Domamu huh probably not but yeah, they, and then later on you're like, oh yeah, that was dumb. <laughs> I'm really kind of looking forward to getting the Blu-ray of this and just going through those sequences. Just, I don't think there's like, I don't think there's a bunch of Easter eggs or anything hidden in those scenes, but just mm. to appreciate the lushness of all those yeah. environments. And the same with the, when you get to the Sanctum in, in New York and there's like the trophy case room. Mm. Again, I don't think there's a bunch of Easter eggs in there, but just a pre, just, just to look at all those props and the stuff that they made and what they filled all that these environment things that with. they've sourced, yeah, to, to make um, it feel like a living, breathing place that, yeah. has, that has been there for hundreds of years. So I think it was a really, really smartly put together movie. It, it it's you know it gives you a bit more, a bit of a definitive take on a on a character who's been around for a while but hasn't really had a. He's not had his. Own, he's only recently got his own solo series again. Mm-hmm. He's been a major player in the Marvel universe, for, but he hasn't since the sixties. Yeah, he was, he was one of that original wave of, of Lee and, of Lee characters from Strange um, Tales, which later became the Doctor Strange ongoing series. Yeah, um, but he hasn't had an ongoing a solo ongoing since the mid nineties. Yeah, he's been mostly a minis and events guy. Hasn't yeah, he? he's been in, he's been in a lot of team books. He's been on the Avengers. He's been in part of various crossover events. He's been part of World War Hulk. He was in the Illuminati, all that sort of stuff. So, and it's like I say, he's only just recently got his own ongoing courtesy of Jason Aaron and uh, Chris Bacalow. Yes, um, which I've not really touched on. There are a couple of things. It's been the odd miniseries, like the the Oath miniseries from Brian K. Vaughan was. Yeah, uh, like, yeah we were it's kind of, of like the go-to doctor, and there's elements of that in here, um, like the the scene the scene of him of, of Christine operating on him, yes, uh, with him actually projecting over her <laughs> and helping. Is 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 basically from the oath, um, <laughs> and yeah, you know, there's one Chris might have is that he gets stitched up. Yeah, he gets his chest wound. She operates on him. He gets stitched up and they don't make a thing of it ever again. Yeah, it's like he limps back yeah. to the portal and then he doesn't limp he's again. fine. Yeah. But then they also imply that you can channel energy into yourself to heal. Mm, well, that's, that's like, like that's, the, that's 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 the first thing that the, the, the Ancient One tells him. So maybe he's doing that on the fly, who knows. But, I just yeah. looking up at Total Curiosity, Caecilius, I was like, is he... Uh, he is a character from yeah, the comics. Really obscure, though. Oh, yeah. He's a, he's a disciple of Baron Mordo. 
who appeared first in Strange Tales 130 in the 60s. And the most significant thing that seems to have ever happened to him is Mordo once possessed him to test the powers of Dormammu. That's it. Yeah, okay. But that's kind of brilliant. Because it's like, we're not whipping out the rogues gallery. We're going, he'll do. This is a character whose story will be interesting. He's going to be a vessel for this story. Like, you know Mads Mikkelsen was like, in my contract, I want one giant held shot while I cry. Yes. <laughs> you can cut away to a Benedict reaction he gets, briefly. He gets, he gets some decent stuff. I mean, he's not... He's, and he's his motivation still... makes sense. I mean, he yeah. still, I think he still falls into the Marvel villain trap in a way of like, you're not coming away going, oh, he was the best thing about it. Like, well, that's, that's good, because the Marvel films seem, seem to be centred mostly on the hero. Yeah. Um, but he definitely feels like a threat. Yeah. And Mickelson brings a lot... Like, it's sort of... This, it feels to me like what should have happened with Chris Eccleston in Thor The Dark World. Yeah. Like, you cast somebody who's ridiculously brilliant, and then don't really give them much to work with. Whereas in this case, they gave him enough to work with so that he could make his mark and feel like a threat. Mm. Um... Nice makeup job as well around the eyes, like the yeah. sort of uh, everything's just kind of it's almost like it's scaling away, like peeling scales around. The peeling the eyes. scales away to reveal like dark dimension energy underneath, like the oh, swirling nice. energy around the eyes. It was very a nice little uh, a CGI slash practical makeup application. Uh, Benedict Hybrid. Wong, freaking great. Benedict Wong was great. Total Agent Four was great. <laughs> uh, it's just a really great cast, really well cast, really nicely played. Fun scripts, funny in in all the right places. Just fu- good, good stuff. Good stuff, Marvel. <laughs> Bring us some more. Uh, the other Doctor, the one who's being an arse to as well, Doctor West, West, was the who, guy from the he's, Yeah, he be, he's a big part of the Oath, so they might be setting that up for later. Or at least That'd just be... putting him in as like a nod to yeah. that story and being like, yeah, this guy's cool. Yeah. Um, Stan's cameo as a bus rider. Oh, yeah. he was reading Aldous Huxley's... Yeah. Um, who was an English writer? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he, uh, he wrote Brave New World and other things. Uh, he, he was reading The Doors of Perception. Oh, excellent! excellent. <laughs> and you're going, that's hilarious. That's <laughs> like, hilarious. Wait, what? <laughs> oh dear that's me! Nice. I'm trying to see if there's any of the cast members that stand out. It was quite a small cast, actually, in terms yeah. of. And apparently, Mira Sial was in it, and we didn't see her at all. Yeah, <laughs> she was in it. She Lister, didn't say anything. Lister was a doctor. So she must have just been around that table. Maybe there was more to that scene where he's talking to them around the table. Yeah, why the hell would you hire Mira Sial and not let her say anything? She's great. So odd. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I dig it. I dig it a lot. I love the final sequence where basically time is in reverse while they're moving. In forward sequence. Yeah, the, well, the Iron Magamoto was revealed to be the, an Infinity Stone. Yeah, which one just drops stone. at the end. Like, Obviously, yeah. in a way, we're strange, just like, what does that mean? It's like, oh, no, much yeah. to learn. And the audience are going, wait, what? <laughs> it's like, that's in the other films. I want to know about them. It's how people talk. It's how rapists talk. You see? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was nice. But the, the way it's just like, the way the freaking... The buildings, like, they're avoiding rubble that's reversing back into structures. It's a really, really lovely moment where Kaiselius gets trapped in a wall <laughs> as it reassembles around him. This is one of one of, one of his one of his minions when she gets stuck in the fish tank yeah. in the window. <laughs> it's, it's just, just like, that is so cool. Like, really cool, visually inventive stuff going on left, right and centre. Very it's... inventive way to not defeat Dormammu but suppress him as well. Yeah. Because it's like, they don't make all the people like, you destroyed Dormammu. It's like, you can't, really. So, this is how we get out of it. And it's like, God, that works well. Yeah. That worked really well. Nice setup for um, future stories. They give it the classic Doctor Strange will return card after the mid credit sequence. Um, 
After the last credits, it was at the very end, the very last Where thing Mordo in the movie. Steals, uh, Mordo steals the abilities of the um, guy who Pango himself and the guy who himself. Basically, setting up that the next time we see him, he's probably going to have a beard, probably yeah. going to have a green cloak, probably going to be murdering sorcerers. Yeah, we're going to have some beef, some beef with the uh, strange. I'm down with strange I beef. That's <laughs> a strange beef. I also forgot that um, Mordo's first name is Carl. Little fact for you there. They don't say it, do they? I don't think. Not in the film, but. Uh, Baron Mordo, Baron Carl Amadeus Mordo. That's a great name. Oh, brilliant. Like Dr. Stephen Bill Strange. Stephen. <laughs> name, but I wish. Stephen <laughs> Ulysses Strange. <laughs> I don't know what his name, little name is. Anyways, oh, we, 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 we wambled on enough. That's a really long episode. We have. Lots to cover, hey, but hey. It's what we're like. We're big, we're meaty, but ultimately we leave you unsatisfied. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for Big Dumb Cast this week. All the usual spots. BigDamnContact at gmail.com if you want to send us emails and questions things like that. Big Damn Cast on Twitter. And of course you can listen to us on iTunes if you're not already. And over on YouTube if you're not listening to us over there already. Or SoundCloud. Yes, yes. If you want to get early previews, early previews. The earliest version of every episode will always be on SoundCloud. But if you search for us on pretty much any podcast app, you'll find us. Yeah. And leave us a nice little review on iTunes. Don't say we told you to do that because that would be shit. No, do. Do. Because we have. Full disclosure. Like, comment, subscribe, all the usual <laughs> stuff. You know how it works. Until next time, Matt, go out on that punchline you've been preparing all week. Uh, bollocks. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Bye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>